This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in young people at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex. Yeah, Shane. Let's begin. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 82. Is this 82 or 83? 82. 82. Yeah. How you well, feeling? On. Well, now you're making me. I was just, I was checking my notes today. No, I think you're right. It is 82. You see, I am so easily influenced. Like honestly, you could have told me we we're on episode 98, and I would have. What was that epo? What <laughs> episode? <laughs> that came out weird. But I've it, had a long day. It's funny. 82 both seems like a lot, and it's like. Wait, we're, we're only going to be at episode 100 in like four months? Shane, I know. I think about that all the time because of all the work that we put in. And I mean, if you count all of our minis and then the date nights that we started doing, I mean, we're well past 100. Yeah, we've done 110 if we include all, all of those minis and date nights. 100 main episodes still being a few months away feels weird because I feel like this is what we're doing with our time all of the time. Who should we have on the 100th episode? Uh, Jillian Harris, Justin Pizzuto, Jillian Harris and Justin Pizzuto. I'd, I'd want them as a duo to have like a date night with us. Yeah, that that could be fun. Get some Finish. vino in there. I know you hate saying that. Get some wine in there. Yeah, they're our most popular episode, by the way. Oh, I know. Which isn't surprising because before I even knew who Jillian Harris was, I was like, I have a feeling that this is going to be a big guest. <laughs> I'm like, her name just sounds cool. <laughs> I know. Turned out to be our biggest episode. And then Justin was our second biggest episode. Which is amazing. But having them both together too, just because we had them both kind of talking about each other in our past episodes with them. So if we get them both at the same time, we just talk about relationships, parenting, all that stuff like, you know, as well, a foursome, I think it'd be hilarious. I just want it to be a ratings hit more than anything, you know? <laughs> well, you know who is going to be a ratings hit? Who? Julie Cole and Sarah Tiramaco, our guests tonight. So Julie Cole, this is a name that a lot of the listeners may or may not know, but if you don't know her first name, you absolutely know the company that she started, which is Mabel's Labels, one of our proud supporters, but an amazing homegrown company that makes really great labels. And with Julie, you know, we talk about business, we talk about being an entrepreneur, the sacrifices that you have to make, the success that she's had. The and energy you need. The energy you need, not only the for the energy business, she has, yeah. but why the heck she had six kids and the energy it takes to raise six kids, which is so mind boggling to me. Do we believe her that she has six kids? No one has six <laughs> kids, right? She can't actually have six children. <laughs> well, we got to do better background research. Okay, but I'll yeah. Take her, I'll take her word for it, I guess. Julie's energy is so amazing. And it was such a fun conversation, followed by our talk with Sarah Tiermaco, who is one of my longtime friends. We've been friends since the ninth grade in high school. We were roommates in university. And she apparently has a very thick accent. She does. She's got a thick Rochester accent. Rochester? Is that, a, is that how it is? It's because the person who edited this episode just messaged me and said, there's no way that accent is real. <laughs> 
But to, and you mentioned it off the top. You're like, oh, there's your accent. But I do not really hear an accent. Her A's her. are like, eh. Like so that. is it like Boston-y? I don't know. When you listen to it, you'll recognize the Rochester. It's beautiful on her in a hilarious way, only because I, I've seen her evolve. And for the past 10 years, I've been, as her friend, just listening to her Rochester accent get thicker and thicker and thicker. Off mic, you said you've heard her devolve. Devolve. Get out her of accent. Here. You don't like it. You said there's no class in that accent. I did not say that. Okay, fine. Anyhow, Sarah Tiramaco, so not only is she a great friend, but she is an incredible chiropractor. And she and her husband, Mike, they own their own clinic in Rochester called Pinnacle Hill Chiropractic. And Sarah, as the years have been going on, so she's been in practice for seven years, she has been getting more into women's health, specifically women in the postpartum period. So we talk about that, uh, not only running a business, what it's like to run a business with your spouse and COVID, all that stuff. But then, you know, she gives me some tips since I am still postpartum. uh, And we talk about, you know, women's health postpartum for a little while. And we were both a tall can deep when we interviewed her. This was a nighttime interview. If we seem off or loopy, that's why we had we had a single beer and that that's how it hits you when you're in your 30s <laughs> well we didn't eat we were no we did eat we ate a big pizza meal we were gonna eat it afterwards we ate it before so maybe we were lethargic not that i'm saying this is a bad interview i think it's a great interview. i just feel like she is so on her game oh my gosh and i felt very off my game so my questions might seem long-winded also i didn't edit this episode so sometimes i make myself seem smarter in the edit <laughs> can't do that right now no but sarah is fantastic she is incredibly knowledgeable and you know you're gonna get lots of stuff out of that interview as well but shane cheers tonight so we are drinking a seed lip cocktail oh i've been sipping this the whole episode normally i wait but i was so thirsty well what do you think this is called the maple non-moonshine because it's not moonshine because it's not alcoholic well i've been eating a maple candy as maybe (laughs) maybe it's been clicking in the mic and i apologize for that but i love maple candies and this one will not dissolve on my tongue. So I've been eating maple candy and drinking a maple drink and I've been loving it. So it is made with Seedlip Spice 94, which is like the most kind of woodsy, earthy variant of Seedlip. And then Apple Flats Maple Cocktail Mix and a little bit of Fever Tree Club Soda. And it's like the perfect combo. But yeah, cheers. Nice, refreshing drink for the evening. Long day, long fun day. Cleaning the house, whatnot. There's a fly in here now somehow. Yes, it is fly season. And speaking of fly, we had maggots in. I don't want to talk can we about not? That. No, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, we can talk about it. Let's talk about it. Why? Well, because I don't want to disappoint you. I didn't even have it as my topics. Oh, okay. We'll go through your topics. And then if there's, you know, if we feel like, okay, let's talk about it. And then if you think you should cut it, you can. Speaking of baby flies. <laughs> We had a problem with our high chair that we feel like we should bring to people's attention. Oh, my God. It makes me sick. It makes me sick to think about. Like, I feel like vomiting. We had maggots in our high chair. Oh, my God. But they weren't They weren't alive. They were like maggots that weren't alive anymore. Don't worry, people. The maggots. It was dead maggots in our high chair. Okay, sorry. Just had to change the diaper there. Where were we? Maggots, we were, in, uh... maggots in the high chair. So, I did not want to talk about this. We are talking about this merely as a cautionary tale and I really wanted to avoid this because not only am I disgusted but I am so embarrassed because I kept that high chair freaking clean and I was taking off like so we were using Phil and Ted's high chair and I loved it so much because it was so easy to clean in past tense we don't love it anymore a few maggots are gonna ruin it (laughs) 
Oh man, I can't, I can't bring myself to use it yet, but it is my favorite high chair, maybe eventually, but uh, we're back to the Ikea Antelope one, or Antelope, I don't know how to say it as it is, but this high chair has like a foam thing that goes over top of the plastic, but it's all one layer, like it's not like a padded high chair, right, because I definitely didn't want one of those because of the food thing. So I would wipe this thing down so well, you know, there was always no food on it after the babies ate and I guess not enough, but once every couple months, I would take the entire foam piece off and I'd give the whole chair like underneath the foam a good scrub. And I went to do that, what, yesterday? This happened yesterday, two days ago? Yeah. And uh, oh my God, I screamed at Shane. I was like, Shane, get in here. So what is this? Is it rice? What is that? Is it bugs? I can't tell. Shane is looking at it. He goes, oh, I think it's pablum. I'm like, okay, that is not pablum. And I still don't know how you thought that was pablum. When pablum dries, it could take on any form in my mind. <laughs> but it was dead maggots. Yeah. Like little tiny, like little tiny things. Like not like big fat garden maggots, but like little tiny disgusting things and, and i don't a fly know. flying around our heads right now which is Shane, weird i wonder if it's one of the maggot babies don't don't <laughs> you're gonna make me so sick so yeah if you have that high chair clearly cleaning underneath the foam thing that you have to take off that is like suction cupped on the plastic high chair so it like barely even comes off and you don't think it's necessary to clean every single week clearly you do and yeah that was like the horrific most horrific moment of my parenting career i think well luckily it's done yeah well yeah thank will, god will you ever use that high chair again i have to work up to it so i don't know possibly i'd like to because i do like it even though it's completely clean now, and now we know that clean. there's a problem, you still have to work up to it. Yes. I doused it in, I don't know, maybe 10 kettlefuls of hot water, bleached it, put it in the shower after I did all that, and showered it, and yeah, got to work up to it. I wanted to talk about poop in diapers. Now, <laughs> from one happy, nice topic to another. No, well, Lucy's been pooping out her diapers a lot. We ran out of the Hello Bella ones, and then there's just been, she pooped all over stuffed animals, all in her bed, yeah. and... Uh, it, like, shot out the sides of her diaper. Now, is it just, like, I'm not doing a Hello Bella read right now, but is it, <laughs> like, what is wrong with those diapers? Can we shame that diaper company? What is that? Those were Huggies. What? So with when Lucy was younger, before we got on Hello Bella, we were using Pampers, and I've always really liked Pampers. We've had good experiences with them. We used Huggies once when she was little, and I think we had poop explosion issues with them at that point too, like when she was like three months old. Huggies. So Huggies stinks. For us. See, people are very, some people love Huggies, but yeah, they the stink material, for us. The material is terrible too. I it know. feels like this weird fake paper or something. I know. I agree. I agree. Oh, I do not like that. Yeah, it's horrendous. But yeah, I just want to say, yeah, the Huggies, don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> now, you came up with an idea recently where you were like, okay, Shane, we're going to have show rules where there's certain shows we can't watch because there's a show called Sunny Bunnies that you really don't like. For Lucy, like not for because, Shane. Just because it doesn't talk. But when I was growing up, there was a show called Pingu, which was on this educational channel, Channel 2, which <laughs> mostly I hated because it was just an educational channel. But do you think a show needs language to be educational? 
No, but I I do think that there needs to be TV rules for Lucy because I don't love her watching TV in the first place. And since she's watching more of it because we're in quarantine, I do feel like I can easily cut it down to, you know, seven shows or movies that I'm comfortable with that I think she can actually interact with a little bit more and learn from a little bit more. I don't need her watching the mermaid thing. I don't need her watching any Barbie stuff. I don't, you know what I mean? Barbie learns life lessons though. I've watched episodes. beyond Lou. Lou follows it pretty well. Is she following like the, what she's learning though? Yeah, because Barbie in the show, at least Barbie's a blogger, right? (laughs) And she's trying to make it in the social media (laughs) landscape, but so are you. So she's kind of relating to mommy through you. So often she follows the story and she understands like Barbie's plight. I don't know, babe. I don't know. And I I just, I feel like I want to just cut it down to, I'll say 10 approved. So Raya's acceptable with sword play and it's meant for seven year olds. And yeah, but that's a lot of violence for little Lou. Well, I think that there are great lessons there and she does follow along with it like so well. Well, no, no S. They're dragons, people beating the heck out of each other. <laughs> like it's pretty entertaining, <laughs> but maybe inappropriate. I don't. For her th- age group. Well, possibly, but I think that Lucy does have a good understanding of it. And here's the thing. Raya's is not like unnecessarily violent or mean. She's very brave. She's very kind. Uh, she's compassionate. So I think that those values which we actively talk to lucy about i think overshadow the sword play when she's like trying to save her dad yeah have you ever put her to bed at night and been punched (laughs) square in the face and told you're an evil dragon (laughs) is that happening when did that enter your so if you're new listening Shane has notoriously long bedtime routines with Lucy. Like they're mm-hmm. up to like an hour and a half at one point. They go through a million and one things. We filmed this on our TikTok if you want to see it. It's very funny. But when did this get added into the equation? Well, now she likes baby dragons and she has this routine where she's like, I'm a baby dragon and you're my dad. But she <laughs> likes this idea that I pretend I'm a mean dragon until I realize that it's my daughter. So I'm like, ah. <laughs> And then she's like, I'm a baby. And I'm like, I don't care. I eat babies. And then she's like, but I'm your daughter. And I'm like, oh, then you will be protected. But you would have eaten her otherwise? She's telling me to play this role. So she's not scared because she knows that the ruse is, oh, I pretend like I'm going to eat her until I realize, oh, it's my own flesh and blood. Now I have to protect her. That's morbid. But sometimes she'll just morph into Raya and just throw me a chop, you know. Which, or she'll just pick up Maui, which is crossing movie lines now because Maui's from Moana. So she'll pick up Maui, who she considers her best friend and sidekick. Yeah. And she will attack me with Maui. <laughs> and Maui will just run and jump at me. Like she'll run behind. Uh, Ma- Maui's this like toddler sized teddy bear that she has. Yes, which is Maui is played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson (laughs) in the movie Moana, and it's Moana's sidekick. So, but Lucy does, you know, she kind of likes play violence. She knows it's play. She knows I won't get hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, though. No, I I think you have a valid point. But, I mean, violence is easy to enforce, and it's easy to see when she's crossing the line and playing too rough whereas those tv shows i think some of them just teach you how to be like kind of bitchy 
Like, really? honestly, yeah. Even, I mean, I like Peppa and she's, she really likes Peppa. And I think that introduced her to a lot of new words and stuff because it was so easy for her to follow along and we'd be chatting with her through it. But even Peppa can be kind of bitchy to her little brother, George, which I don't like. Yeah, I wouldn't call the pigs bitchy. They do pick on dad a little bit about his weight, which is obviously a problem. <laughs> they are so in daddy pig's face about his weight. Like, they give him a really hard time. It's weird, actually, to hear way being talked like about in that way on a yeah. any show. Well, I feel like the UK maybe lacks on that type of like they might just think, oh, they're being a cheeky. They're being cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining this. I have no research on this. <laughs> well, Pe- Peppa Pig is a little older too. Is it okay? Yeah. Well, I was just I, saying, it's been wait, around for a while. Maybe even worse. You know, the older it gets, it doesn't mean it, it's better to no, be, no. But that's know, what I'm saying. Reinforcing that stuff. But, but I was looking up Pingu because I wanted to show you that Pingu is educational. Anyway, it is banned in so many countries what? and so many scenes have been banned. There's a scene where Pingu is like pissing all over the place and they actually showed pee. And it's, <laughs> is this real? Yeah. And Pingu was like drinking a drink and got kind of drunk once. This is real because I wanted to come in like how you do at the end with the fact check and be like, well, here's some educational episodes. The only place it's not banned. Guess. Canada. No. Where? The UK. That's hilarious. So the UK is very lax on this kind of stuff, which is where Peppa Pig comes from. Mm. So I just think they're chill about certain things that we're not. They like cheeky cartoons. Well, I think maybe they're behind the times. Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it's funny because Shane and I were talking about Pingu because he's like, I was talking about this show Sunny Bunnies that Lucy loves because it's bright and colorful and these like little fluffy bunnies like to eat ice cream. So it's everything she likes in one show, but they don't speak and it's just kind of like physical comedy. It's just like doofuses, right? As bunnies. But I was like, Shane, like, there's nothing she's getting from this. So if she's going to watch anything, let it be a show where she can learn a new word or whatever. And you you were talking about Pingu. And you go, well, Pingu was educational. And then I was suggesting it wasn't. And we got in a friendly tiff over it. But that is I so interesting. I still think Pingu is educational. I just think certain scenes were inappropriate. And keep in mind, this was made 25, maybe 30 years ago. Yeah. So just the Pingu would step over the line from now and then. And (laughs) there was like this weird, there was a point in Pingu where he needed to cross the road and there was two street signs. Right. But the street signs were actually like these weird like Russian words Mm -hmm. that suggested, that promoted like communism or something. What? Yeah, it was weird. So wait, is it a Russian show or is it a Canadian show? Because I I assumed it was a Canadian show. I, I believe it was voiced by a Swedish guy. Who made up his own language called Penguinese? <laughs> like, I was really trying to just—I I just googled—is Pengu educational or not? And I was going to bring in some facts, and I went down this weird rabbit hole. So I don't know, but I remember like I watched some episodes, and Pengu solved problems, like problems yeah. related to shapes. And the Sunny Bunnies—they do get into dilemmas that they have to solve a problem for it so it does show you how you can solve a problem and 90 percent of communication is nonverbal, so i don't think all learning needs to be verbal no i i agree there i just don't think the sunny bunny doofuses do the best job of it but that's fine and if you are not from canada or from a country where pingu is banned check it out you can find it on youtube probably eh? yeah yeah you can find it on youtube p-i-n-g-u and uh yeah i grew up on pingu I didn't know that. You acted like you didn't knew nothing about him. No, I, I used to watch Pink all the time. So you liked Jake. him? Yeah. Hmm. As a kid, I did, yeah. But all the banned materials, they, they ended up removing them out of the DVDs and stuff. So I'm sure if you oh, watch Pingu, you won't see any of the, 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 weird, the weird stuff. 
Oh, yeah, and there was a kissing scene in Pingu. Pingu had a girlfriend, and they kind of got it on in an episode. What do you mean they got it on? Like, it was very, like, flirtatious, and then he's courting her, and eventually there's, like, a makeout scene. Ooh, that's saucy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, someone uh, moving to England. Ooh, that's saucy. It's like making out on a kid's show. (laughs) That was cheeky. No, that's inappropriate, Well, do they teach them how eggs are made? If we no. go with that, like, educational take, I guess. Alex. I don't know. I'm just trying to find an angle here. Uh, <laughs> so now I'm pulling questions kind of like I do on date night. I'm just experimenting with this because date night is so much fun. So I'm just pulling random questions off the internet. What mutual goal would you like us to accomplish? Like, we've already accomplished this podcast, but... What's next for Shane and Alex? Now we're taking the world of TikTok by storm. I mean, we just had another video that reached the a million, 1.2 million. Congrats to us. 1.3 million, actually. Mm-hmm. So what's next for us? Well, I want us to become uh, really good at tennis. Tennis or that racquetball game? Both. I think that, you know, being proficient in one helps you be proficient in the other because it's all hand-eye coordination and speed and like sprinting. I would love to get good at tennis with you. I would love to get good at tennis with you. And my, a lifelong goal I've had, like I took tennis lessons maybe when I was like, I don't know, eight. And that's the only time I've really played tennis in my life aside from just playing for fun, you know, mm-hmm. like growing up with my family. But now we're kind of getting into tennis more. Like It's hard lockdown. with two kids though. Like how, it's so hard. How can you get both get out there and play and be tending to two children when one of the kids can't even walk? I know. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> we'll work it out. We'll find ways. Uh, Will we? Well, my, my parents are our child care option uh, during COVID and everything like that. So that's the thing. We're just going to have to make time for it when the weather's nice. Get him to take the kids. Because Shane, once all of this is over, I want to start challenging friends of ours to tennis matches and just beat everybody. And I want, you know, whoever's best at tennis, whatever other couples like the best at tennis. I just Probably wanna, peak in legs. Right. I, I want to crush them. Yeah, I do. I just want to beat everyone at everything. I hate <laughs> I hate not being the best at everything. It really bothers me. I'm just be laying up at night like, why can't I be the best at everything? Well, that you ever would, think that way? I no, no, I don't. Because I'm happy with mediocrity in a lot of regards, I think. But I do want to be the best at certain things. And it's like whatever I'm taking on at the moment, I want to be the best in. But then I'm happy to let everything else fall by the wayside. So right now I want to have the best easy care garden. Also, that's another goal I want us to accomplish as a house. I want to have like... We've tried this three times, by the way. The goal is to make our house look nice. It always ends up looking like a dump. It looks like we've gone on vacation for two months. All the plants die. Yeah. We're the laughing stock of the neighborhood, which is very horticultural friendly neighborhood. Yeah, everybody's really good at gardening. But I I feel like this time you might have some sort of renewed motivation because it feels like you're really into it all of a sudden i've done more research and i'm trying to find plants and i'm talking to neighbors who know what they're talking about and i'm looking stuff up online i'm talking to conservationists or conservationalists in hamilton and they're giving me uh, ideas for native plants to plant and things like that what do plants need to live well care the water and water right yes so remember to water them yes well we yes i will in the past, what have you forgotten to do? Water them. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, that's the main thing. <laughs> well, with our nice porch now, Shane, I'm hoping that in the summer, 
all of our morning coffees. We'll take out there. The kids can play when we're drinking coffee out on the porch. And while well, we're we'll sipping, go play tennis. Right? All this morning free time. For two hours and then have our coffee while the children <laughs> play in the front grass. Right? But then I could be watering the plants while we drink our coffees and everything is just. Uh, and we leisurely start ago. our day, maybe open an email if our work has contacted us. <laughs> No, Shane and I just to paint a very realistic picture. The second we're both up and down here in the morning, it's just basically we're running around like chickens with their yeah, head. It's cuts like off. the opening scene of Home Alone where they're late for their flight. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's like us in our home. All day, every day. Yeah. Last topic, and this may be the same question as the last one, but see if you can find a new interpretation for it. What is something you would like us to do to invest in our marriage this year? I don't even know what that question means, but okay. I wanted to ask it really badly. Well, honestly, I can take different meaning out of it than the question before, but I think the answer is the same. I think (laughs) Dennis. (laughs) I'll just replay the last five minutes. No, no. I think that I want us to continue to grow as like teammates and as people that can work together in different situations. And we're doing that. And we have been doing that in such a, oh my God, like an all-encompassing way during lockdown and with our podcast Mm. growth and I think that now bringing the skills that we're honing to athletics and to sports and to tennis is going to be a really cool way to continue to grow together and learn how to just be teammates and deal with failure and success and everything like that and I, I think it's like a fun way to build on those skills. And it's a good time, too, because after my birthday, like we've all discussed that I'm getting these cool tennis shoes for my birthday, (laughs) which I'm excited about. But that's the perfect pocket where there's the least amount of holidays Mm -hmm. and no birthdays. Like my birthday is kind of the end of the birthday season, right? Or is your mom's after mine? Mm. Uh Oh, I don't want to. I don't know when anybody's birthday is. You don't know when your mom's birthday is. You don't don't even know. know. I don't know when my mom's Your dad's is. is Monday. Yeah, I, I only know it's Monday because I asked my mom when his birthday is because I knew it was coming. Okay, so do, you don't even know if your mom's is after May 12th? It's May 19th. Okay, May 19th. So, or May 18th. Or is my dad on April 19th? Regardless. Okay, so after May is the end of birthday season, which mm-hmm. means that's our healthy, our healthiest pocket is basically end of May till the beginning of Christmas, uh, till the end of September. Right. Because then known as birthday September, mm-hmm. right? So it is, this is our pocket to kind of like no really pocket. be in our peak physical condition. Mm-hmm. Because I this agree. is when we're taking care of our bodies the best. Yeah. And honestly, and I think that's a fun thing to do together. I, it's funny because I think taking care of ourselves and being like healthy, like physically, mentally, everything is as much fun to do together as totally not doing that and like you know, being lazy, watching lots of TV and eating lots and drinking Mm. more like we do around Christmas season and birthday season, things like that. If you live in Canada, your life is perfectly imbalanced. Yeah. You have, which balances (laughs) it out because we, we really take advantage of our summers because they are so fleeting. And then in the winter, we're like, yeah, summer's going to be here soon. Let's just sit here and do nothing. So it like when you go to LA and you see everyone and they're looking a little bit more fit maybe than you might see in Canada. No wonder. It's like they're just always out there enjoying the outside and being physical. See, I like everything in moderation. I think it's I think it's perfect. It's not everything in moderation. No, how we're living. But it's not. It's it's the extreme Yes, 
But then because it's it, half and half, it's fine. So it's the opposite. You don't like everything in moderation. You like everything in its most extreme form, <laughs> which will eventually balance out, right? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it, it works out. It's even Steven in the end. Yes. And that's all that matters to me. Okay. Should we get to our first guest? Who is our first guest? Julie Cole. Let's do it. Okay. But right before we get to her, let's tell everyone who we're supported by. But before we get to this interview, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh. They are a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make the absolute best basics for your little kids. Oh, I say it all the time. I wish they made adult clothing. I mean, nothing looks simpler, cooler, more comfortable than Mini Miosh clothing. So much cooler. Like, I feel like a garbage lady when I stand next to Lou and Betty in their Mini Miosh. And look like one to be honest thanks babe but yeah they make fashionable wardrobe staples that are super soft comfy and timeless and can be passed from kid to kid regardless of their gender their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using gots certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes they're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our littles than when they arrived on it and they believe that every little bit counts you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on instagram and facebook Use the promo code ThisFamilyTree15 for 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is minimiosh.com and ThisFamilyTree15. Okay, now let's get to Julie Cole. I think you will enjoy this interview. We are so happy to have you sitting down with us. The last time we spoke, we were doing the Mabel's Labels Mom Cave. And oh, and that was a hit. People yeah. loved it. Oh, that's, oh, that's so good. awesome. That's yeah. so good. Well, I'm glad they did because Shane and I had so much fun. And it was such a blast talking with you. And while you were talking, I know in my head, I was like, oh, man, like, I want to ask her about this. I want to ask her about that. And then when we left the call, Shane's like, man, I have a million questions for Julie. And now we are so happy because we can take that time and kind of pick your brain. Julie, now, the first thing I want to ask you, you have six kids. True story. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> well, in, in, in actuality, there's, there's a few reasons why. I think the first reason is I, I enjoy having babies. Like yeah. I enjoy I have good pregnancies. <laughs> I, I have great pregnancies. If I had a crummy pregnancy, if I vomited once, that would have been it. Ha- having said that is I can't get them out. So I have had six C-sections. So that's a little bit problematic, but great pregnancies. I love babies. I don't, get too wound up or too stressed about things the way sort of normal people do. And I think that is what allowed me to kind of do it. The other thing I realized is that I I don't have what I call the I'm done gene. So, you know, all my friends would be like, oh, you'll know when you're done, or they'd be giving me their maternity clothes when they're like in their ninth month with their second child. I'm like, how can you give me your maternity clothes? And she's like, I know I'm done. I'm like, and so I kept thinking, oh, well, after this one, I'll get the I'm done feeling. I never got it. So I think, you know, and in either did daddy. So I think what you need to do is like, if you're out there and you're having babies, and you're waiting for the, that feeling of I'm done. You might not have the I'm done gene either. So mm-hmm. that's what I discovered. <laughs> so do you have that feeling yet? Never did. Never did. Even when I had that sixth, I, uh, you know, they're always like, when I'm on the table, getting, having my C's, having my kids surgically removed, they're always like, what about, you know, do we want to tie the tubes? And I was like, no, no, just could never do it. I'm so brave. Never do it. So, and I mean, eventually it just got to the point, like I was getting old. Like, I think I had my last one when I was like 39 and I'm like, and how many times can you cut into one uterus, right? Like, 
it's it's major surgery. Yeah. So you are you are done not by choice, but just because you've been aged out of the system. <laughs> I'm out, man. I'm out. I'm even getting hot flashes. Like I'm right in it, dude. I just turned fifty, so you know I'm Whoa. I'm I'm well past my my youngest is about to turn twelve. So oh wow, right? so I'm definitely on the next stage, and it's it's pretty cool too. Yeah. See, it's funny because I I am done. I do not want to get pregnant anymore. However, you know our baby, our youngest, is growing up. She's nine months now, and even today, I was walking her, and I was like, oh man, like. I kind of want another. I don't want another baby, but I do want another baby. And I struggle with I that. Know. And it's it's, it's a wild. tough one. It's a tough one. And I mean, you guys are young and you just got the two. Like, I wouldn't make any big decisions or anything. But two is a great number. Like, right. two is wonderful. But then I think about, like, honestly, I think about, like, if I had only had Mac and Posey, they would be in, like, second and third year university right now. And I'm just like. I'd be, I would have been an empty nester like two years ago. It's such a weird concept to think. And I just think about how full my life is with all the others yeah. and how much fun each one brings. I always say, you know what, you got to do, there's no perfect number, but you know, I, I don't think we really regret the ones we have. I think we're more likely to regret the ones we don't. So if, if you're on the fence, I play around with it some more. I like it. So Mac and Posey, yeah. those are very cool standout yeah. names. Do you go through phases with all these children where it's like, okay, the first two, I'm giving them the cool eccentric names that are really awesome. And then we're going to sprinkle in some normal names and then like some classics. How does it I work? I love that. Okay. So I like, obviously Mabel's labels. I, I love naming. I, I've been interviewed about naming. I, I love it. Like, I think that is like, other than actually getting a child, that is the most fun about having yeah. a baby is naming them. So um, I think within a sibling group, their names need to match. I don't think I could have like my son, Mac is actually named McGinnis. Oh, cool. So he's McGinnis. Uh, and they all have my, my last name as their middle names. So, like I can't have McGinnis, Posey, and then Michael, you know, like it, yeah. I don't think that really works. Like, I think you need to be either go traditional and definitely you need to make sure it goes with the last name. I think, you know, practice saying it. Also, see, see how the name feels when you're like, open the door and yell, Michael, get home for dinner. You know, how does that roll for you? <laughs> <The> yell test. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. So my six kids are actually, so there's McGinnis, a boy, and then I've got a girl, Posey. And then I had a girl who's named Spencer, but, but they're actually non-binary. So, and they're so happy with their name because, I mean, I... I, I actually wouldn't have named a boy Spencer. I loved it for a girl, but perfect. because, because now, you know, with them being non-binary, they love their name. Yeah. It was worked out. It's worked out. They are all their names too. It's crazy. And then my next daughter is Jessamy. And then I have a son Clancy. And then I have a son Finian. I love wow. those. That's I love cool. Clancy. Is, that hit me. See that we had such a hard time figuring out boys names. Clancy. I'd love I could and do that. And last name is O'Keefe, and it's so Clancy O'Keefe. Sounds, sounds like a writer. Very cool. Yeah, I yeah. like to, I like Mac and McGinnis too. I really yeah. like that. Now, are you the name captain? Pretty much. So yeah. I think like it was funny because Daddy O actually really wanted Clancy, and I didn't think I could do it. And then in like the last week, I was like, I can do Clancy. I can do. <laughs> I, I can do it. I got there. I got there. But normally, how I work it, and Shane, you might want to plug your ears, is that. I come up with the name I like, and then somehow I turn it so he thinks he suggested it to me. Oh, good move. It's a very good strategy. But at the end of the day, I do feel like if I had to, I, I, I can pull rank. I did birth well. 
Like, of course. <laughs> of course. If I wanted to full name rank, I probably would have. But we we were always able to land. And it's funny how it changes too. Like, I don't know with you guys if you know you had a boy's name to the first, and then by the second you changed it to like Spencer had been born a boy, would have been called Gulliver, Gully. Mm. But then I went on to have two boys and Gulliver never came back again. So it's funny how that, yeah, it's funny how that, that happens. But I've been really happy and the names have stayed with me and like, I still love them. Mm-hmm. I did feel like when I had Spencer, like she was this little girl um, and it felt like a big name. It felt like a heavy <laughs> handle for a little girl, you know, yeah. but it suits them. That's so good. And what, you know, is this desire to have a big family and you talked about the other and always being around the other and that bringing you fulfillment. Did you have a big family growing up? Where does that desire come from? Right. So I do like my mom had four kids. So I have three siblings, but I really enjoyed my siblings. Mm-hmm. Like we are, my, my, my sister lives in my court, like our cousins, it's cousin Plusa here. <laughs> we bought, me and my siblings all bought a cottage together yes. um, in South River about 20 years ago. So the cousins have all sort of summer together there and we're, we're pretty good communicators. So, you know, we, you know, we, if, if we don't agree on something, we manage it really well and, you know, we move on. So and I think big families do teach you how to do that. Like we never mm-hmm. have ever, ever said anything cruel to each other. We never, we always fight fair. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we deal with the thing and then, and then we move on. And I remember growing up, like our friends would be so freaked out. Like I remember this one friend was over when we were teenagers and I guess me and sis, my sister got in a big fight about something. And then I was like, Hey sis, Kelly and I are going to the store. Do you want to come? We'll go get a popsicle. And my friend Kelly was like, what are you doing? You're mad at her. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like you're you are in a big fight with your sister right now. I'm like, oh no, that's not how that works. We're <laughs> over it. Like that was ten, so ten minutes ago. So I do, and I do see it with my kids. Like I do feel like they fight fair. They stick to what the problem is. They don't turn it into something personal. They don't, and they also very much like a big family value for me is we call it the bro code, and it's where certain information stays within the family. Like you don't, you know, if somebody wets the bed, you never would at school. Like, or if somebody's a crush that never comes out on the school bus, like there are certain things, and they seem to have a really good sense of me not having to tell them what those are, but just knowing what they are. There's been missteps, and you know, we've been like, hey, bro code, that's bro code information. You know, that's not something that's shared. So there's um there's all sorts of fun, you know, little dynamics that happen with a big family. And the other thing that's kind of weird about me too is that I always wanted multiples. Like every ultrasound I went to, I was so sad when there was only one in there. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same thing, yeah. Do you? Yeah. I wanted twins and I I, I think it's so cool. Yeah. Me too, me too. And I always think too with me in the C sections, I'm like, more bang for my buck. It's so efficient to have two at once. <laughs> exactly. Now, growing up in a larger family and then eventually having a family yourself, do you think that has conditioned you to roll with the punches more, which in some way has made you more successful in business? Because there is so much small stuff to worry about. You know, that's a, that's a really excellent question. I, I think, I'm not sure if it's chicken or egg. Like, I think, you know, I was... Uh, you know, born into this family. And also, like, I should point out, my grandma is one of 21 kids. What? Like, big, yeah. My great-grandmother had 21 kids. Four died as infants. She raised 17. And she was an entrepreneur in Ireland. When she was widowed, she continued running the family farm and the family pub. So this, like, this big family and entrepreneurship thing, we come by it honestly. So, 
yeah, chick brag, right? Like I think part of like part of maybe how I was raised was, you know, not to sweat the small stuff. And so I have brought that into business. Or maybe I can do these things because I don't sweat the small stuff. You know, like I think, you know, I I could just be like, oh, I'm doing all right. I think I can do another baby. You know, let's let's do this. We're managing just fine. Or and I and I do. I think the key thing and kind of my secret sauce I tell people is that I just, I don't take myself too seriously. I have very good perspective. Like I know I'm not saving lives. Like when we're, you know, at Mabel's even like it's August, we're running around like our hair's on fire because everybody it's back to school. We're running 24 seven. And I'm always like, Hey, you know what? We make labels. Yeah. <laughs> no, we make labels. <laughs> when, when you get a little self-important, you just got to remind yourself, you make labels. I'm not pulling out the defibrillator. I'm not performing a Heimlich maneuver. I make labels. And I, and, and I feel like that also applies to my kids. Like I don't do a lot of like helicoptering or snow plowing because I actually want them to fail a bit. Like I feel like it's good practice. And if they, you know, learn to problem solve stuff now, then I won't be solving their problems for them when they're 30. So I think now is a really good time for them to practice. And like, that's what I don't like have, have like my little, like my kids don't have phones. Like if they fall off their bike, I want them to like put their brother over the shoulder and come home and dump him <laughs> and then, then go get the bike. I don't want to get calls like, mom, I fell off my bike. Come get me here. I don't like, I don't, I want them to solve their own problems. You know, mm-hmm. today's problem solvers, tomorrow's leaders. They're rather leaders. So that's what I'm working towards. We just had a conversation with Sonia Curry, Steph Curry's mom, about failure and about how there's a Harvard study just released saying that teaching your kids how to fail gracefully and get back up is the quickest way to ensure their success. And, you know, I I find that as parents, it's like that for us, too. It's like, oh, man, you know, learning how to parent. When I first brought my first kid home, I was terrified. I was losing it. I had PPA for a short time. I what's, feel what's PPA? PPA, like a postpartum anxiety. Oh. And I really felt like I was just going to screw everything up if I made one little misstep. And then when you start to make those mistakes, even as a parent, you get more cool and you get more relaxed. And now that we have our second baby, it's just a lot of things are easier. And I was curious, did you go through that as a parent? And what what would your biggest hurdle be or your biggest failure that you learned to overcome? Right. So I do, I agree with your, like the guests that you spoke to, like failure is a gift because um, it's an opportunity. And I don't mind, you know, I don't mind my kids sitting in a bit of failure. I don't mind my kids sitting in a bit of boredom. I, you know, I don't, I don't mind those things. These, like I said, this prepares them, this prepares them for, for later. I, I totally understand that sense of being overwhelmed when you come home with a human and you're like this human, like it's not going away ever. <laughs> and it's all on me. Like that's overwhelming absolutely overwhelming. And I do remember that bringing Mackie boy home and putting that little, and then I'm just like, now what? Like now he's just here. It, it came a bit easy for me. Like I, I, my babies never were colicky. Um, they were, I always had, I was a big routine person. So my babies were on a very strict routine because that worked for me because I was also growing a business and, mm-hmm. you know, having to fit in podcasts between nap times. And, you know, you guys know, you know, the drill. Course, yeah. So I actually had my next one 15 months later and, and I actually had a miscarriage in between. So I was going to have wow. the Irish twins and strangely enough, and this is going to sound so annoying, but I actually found one baby a little bit boring. Like I just, <laughs> 
there was, I needed more to do. I needed to multitask. <laughs> and I was actually finishing law school at the time too. So I think wow. I'm literally just not, I, I don't feel like the whole thing with like failure, like as a parent, you know, I often joke that I gave up, uh, I gave up mom guilt four kids ago because it's completely useless. It is useless. It's completely. And it's like, how does it help? Like I screw up. I'm like, dude, sorry, I screwed up. I'll do better next time. Plus I like role modeling, apologizing and, and being okay with it. So if they see me be like, dude, I'm so sorry. I forgot to uh, pick you up from the airport. <laughs> True story. I do a big mom. <laughs> every year, every year I do a big mom fails vlog of my best fails of the year. And my kids chime in and what the best fails are. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. They, they have tons of material. Oh, they're I a bet. little too like, oh yeah. Like they're a little bit. I'm like, why was that so easy for you guys to throw my fails of this year at me? But it's, it allows us to have some fun. Yeah. Like I said, I don't really, I don't kind of perseverate on it. I, I tend to apologize and move on. I, I'd say the other reason why I don't think focusing on what you're doing wrong is really helpful is because we are all actually at the, like our kids' perceptions are so far from reality sometimes. I'm going to give an example. And I think it's freeing because I think sometimes we're like, oh my God, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to ruin them now. I, you know, like I remember once I said to one of my kids, I'm like, what's wrong with you? And after I said, I was like, that was a really shit thing to say. Like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, whoa, I can't believe I said that. I'm frustrated. So sorry. Obviously you're perfect. Well, not perfect, but you know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think things like that happening, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I've scarred that kid. But then when they're 21, they're going to be like, oh, remember that time that you, and you'd be like, I did not know I did that. And I don't even remember feeling guilty about that. So their perceptions are going to be reality. So whether you did it or not, doesn't really matter because that's the perception. So it's actually freeing because no matter what you do, and I'll give you an example of this. Daddyo has two brothers. He's, he's one of five kids. So he likes a big family. He has two brothers who were on the same sports team. And their dad traveled a lot with work, he had a big job, blah, blah, blah. One of the brothers said dad was at every game. And one of the brothers said dad never went to a single game that season. So they were on the same team and they both believe they're right. So what does that mean? It, it means their perceptions, they both will swear by those perceptions. Perhaps maybe it meant the one kid felt fulfilled by dad at that time and felt like his emotional needs were being filled. So he thought dad was at every game, whether or not he was, maybe it didn't matter. And the other kid, maybe he wasn't feeling fulfilled. Maybe he did, who knows, but his perception was that dad wasn't at a single game. Mm -hmm. So what's the truth? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I say like, that's why it's freeing because there, I know my kids are come back at 30 and say, well, when you did that, I'll be like, that's what traumatized you. <laughs> That's why you're sending me to therapy bills, man. There were so many other things it could have been about, right? No, so it's important to remember that. It's important to remember that, you know. No, I love, I love just that. Just be take. subject to their perception. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now. How do you perceive yourself? Because we've had a lot of high achievers on this podcast, and I find they fall into two groups. They're either totally A-type personality or they're the exact opposite. And if I had to guess, I would say that you're more the latter than the former. It's true. Like, I am pretty chill. Like, I'm not a perfectionist. I mean, you could come over to my house right now. I wouldn't tidy it up for you because I actually wouldn't care if you thought it was messy. Like, that's the thing, too. Like, And I think this big parenting thing is... Like if you can actually not care what people think, mm -hmm. it's so freeing, especially about the stuff. Like, I mean, always I care like what the people I love, what they think. And I hope that, you know, I'm 
I'm, I'm making them proud and that I'm doing a good job by them and that all that stuff. But, you know, you guys will get it too, like the odd troll or whatever. It's like, who cares what they think? What's it matter? Mm-hmm. And I don't want people coming to my house. Like, I know at my funeral, nobody's going to be like, oh my God, Julie, you know, and her beautiful, you know, house was clean all the time. She had the best <laughs> meals and, and she had her pearls. And like, that's not how it's going to be. And that's how, that's not what I would want. I would want them to be like, we go to Julie's house. She'll be like, you know where the fridge is? Gla- grab me a glass of wine too. And I mean, I used to, when my kids were little, I'd invite friends over for parties early to give them jobs. Like, can you put take that one out of the bath and put them to bed? Can you do like, that's how I run a party. I invite my friends early and give them chores. <laughs> now, now, being this leader personality too, another thing I've become fascinated with is birth order. W- where did you fall in the birth order? And were you like the older child, which since you have so many leadership qualities, I'm going to guess you were, or am I totally off? Right. So you're off. I'm number three of four. So I'm an attention seeking middle child. (laughs) (laughs) I do think birth order is an interesting topic because I see it with my kids as well. You can see, but I think also middleborns and ladderborns tend to be a little more risk takers, right? So maybe that's where kind of the entrepreneurship comes in because we're like, oh, well, I do think though, the leadership stuff, I think it was just very much part of my personality. And, you know, it's funny. I was actually just telling somebody the other day, because it was my birthday recently. And I was saying how my mom kept journals about us when we were infants. And, you know, at three months old, she wrote, you know, Julie demands a lot of attention. She doesn't want to miss out on the action. She never wants to sleep. You know, it was all like that. And then my sister at the same age, I have a sister a year older and Mare is like a total introvert, never had kids, like just she'll come to my house and be like, now it's going to take me two days to re-energize myself after being in this gong show of a house. Like, <laughs> it's exhausting just being in that, like, because she's an introvert, right? Yeah. The energy just sucks it out of her. Literally, my mom would be like, you know, Mary Ellen doesn't really make eye contact with me. And when she started talking, she was delayed talking. She still now only talks when she needs to. Like, it is so funny, the personalities. The one big birth order I... Thing that I've observed with my family is um so you know I had Mac and then I had Posey and Mac ended up being diagnosed with autism when he was three and I really felt like at that point Posey very much took on almost like a hyper firstborn child role like she I mean she was changing diapers when she was four she and you know you see like she would, she was like a little therapist to Mac. She would see the way we would try to teach him and we would do like these implied choices. We had all these strategies and she would be doing them with him and she was playing with them. I'd be like, oh my goodness, it's insane. She's cheaper than a therapy. So I can see that. And, but I also see with her and it does worry me a little bit of the pressure that she puts on herself. Cause she's done like, this was not put on her, but it was like taken on, you know? And I think with all the younger siblings, she's a worrier about them. She, you know, they're, they want to please her. They, if they disappoint Posey, they, the kids are very upset. She is very mother figure. And she is, you know, she says she is a little bit of a perfectionist. I do worry because, you know, she's in a very tough, uh, she's an integrated science master. She's a you know, rookie of the year on the lacrosse team. She does all the things like she's a, a high achiever, but I can see that, that I feel like it takes a toll. Whereas that was never me. Like I didn't stress. I didn't, I didn't put the pressure on myself. I I was just kind of relaxed and Mm -hmm. not that perfectionist at all. Now you mentioned earlier that you were in law school. Now, how do you go from being a potential lawyer to 
running a label company? Right. So a couple of reasons. One was, you know, had a few little kids, noticed a product missing from the market. I mean, you know, good entrepreneurial mama be like, mm, I don't like using masking tape and marker on my kids' things. There's got to be something out there. There wasn't. So I had the conversation with, I started the business with three other women, my sister, my sister-in-law, and actually my friend who ended up married my young uncle, so my aunt, but she's younger than me. Um, they were, we're all friends from university. We all went to University of Waterloo together. So we had the idea. So we had kind of been talking about it and starting to do a little bit of research. But then when Mac got diagnosed, I was like, traditional workforce is not going to suit my family. I need to advocate for this child. I need to set up an education program for him. I turned my face into a therapy center. I had therapists coming and going. You know, he was doing 40 hours a week of ABA. So I was like, okay, well, this is this is where, uh, so I said to the girls, look, this is it. I got I to gotta drop out of the traditional workforce. And we have this great idea. What do you think? They're like, let's do this. Well, we did. That's amazing. And and what was your like willingness to have it fail? Like how long would you keep it going yeah. in other words without turning a profit? Right. Oh, great question. I mean, ideally, um, you know, entrepreneurs, if you can fail fast, that's the way to go. We had a business plan and we um, I mean, gosh, those early days you do, you know, making labels in the basement till 2 a.m., pregnant with my fourth, coming home, getting up at 6 a.m. with the kids, doing a day with them, getting back in the basement at 8 o'clock till 2 a.m. It's, I mean, you know, it's scary. Whenever I see now like a business that fails, I'm just like, oh, like if I drive by a store that's closed down, I'm like, oh, because it's like not, a, it's just that emotional energy and finances that you put in and the physical energy, all that stuff. It is, uh, it is devastating, but I think you need to um, do your business plan. I mean, stick to it, set out your goals. They can be moving targets, you know, but, you know, if I was still in the basement making labels right now, this would be a colossal fail, right? And, and I don't even know how to make a label now, and I shouldn't. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if they put me in the factory now and said make a label, I'd be like, right, that's <laughs> I don't know how to make a label. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> So, you know, and, and you shouldn't because eventually, like if you're working so much in the business, you're not working on the business, right? And so you've got to be up there doing that leadership stuff. If you're putting out all the brush fires, then nobody's doing that eye, you know, pie in the sky strategic uh stuff. So it is stuff. I feel like we had a couple of early indicators that we were gonna make it, and we had a couple of good PR hits. We had uh, you know, moms, like moms are word of mouth, right? And we moms, when we love products, we we talk about products like it's a full-time job. So once, I mean, we are introducing a new product to market. So we thought, oh, this is going to be a hurdle, but it just made so much sense. So, you know, some mom at daycare would have her kids stuff. And then the other moms would do pick up and be like, what is that thing of beauty on that child's sippy cup? And they'd be like, oh, you got to go to Mabel's Labels. You got to now, remember, this is 18 years ago, no social media. But again, moms were talking about is it the kindergarten drop off, the side of the soccer, you know, soccer field, all that stuff. But once social media hit, oh, man, the mom blogs, Facebook, we own, we own that space. We moms yeah. owned that space. And that just provided an amazing word of mouth vehicle for us. I yeah. Bet, yeah. Well, honestly, like, you know, before we became parents and before I got into using Maple's labels to help keep us organized – I knew about your company and for me to have, and I think I knew about them maybe 12 years ago because I had a friend working for Mabel's Labels and her name was Melissa Blaze, but she was- Blaze, you know, I love Blaze. Yeah, she's oh, great. Yes, of course. She's the best. <laughs> she is. She was with us for years and years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And 
I knew about you guys from her and because we thought what she was doing and what she was involved with was so cool. And it's so unusual for somebody without kids and without wanting kids at that time. Like I was in my early 20s and I knew all about you guys. And you could tell that, you know, obviously you're successful there. And I'm curious because you are so successful and I know a lot of moms, especially in this pandemic, they're trying to build something. They're trying to create something that will allow them more freedom, more flexibility. Do you have any advice for moms that might be taking something on? Uh, You know what? You're absolutely right. We're seeing this through this pandemic. Like a lot of moms are taking that side hustle and they're trying to do the pivot to full time. And actually, I just spoke at a great conference. If people want to check out uh, Stephanie McLarty, what's her Facebook group? She talks about, you know, kind of mom entrepreneurs going from side hustle to full time. And that was her conference that she did last week that I spoke at. And it was uh, it was great because it is it is definitely on the mind. Um, I think I have, I have loads and loads and loads of advice, but I'm going to give just two. Mm -hmm. One would be like a lot of people really romanticize entrepreneurship and, you know, they think, oh, flexibility. Oh, you know, park date in the afternoon. Oh, I can go to the, you know, the apple orchard for the kindergarten field trip. Yes, you can do all those things, but you will be hovered over your laptop at midnight. Flexibility doesn't get your job done for you. So yes, it's great. And I think also with the romanticizing of entrepreneurship, they're like, okay, I'm going to start it. Everybody's going to love it. Uh, and then I'm going to like scale it. And then I'm going to be a famous entrepreneur and I'm going to make lots and lots of money. And, you know, when people are like, oh my God, Julie, you're so successful. I'm like, yeah, I've been in line for 18 years, right? Like I, I spent a lot of time in a basement, you know, it, it, in a dingy basement making labels. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's that. So I think people need to be realistic about what entrepreneurship really looks like. And it really looks like a lot of work with not a lot of money for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Hate to be a Debbie Downer, but that's the yeah, reality. Realist. And I think also the other thing I would say is if you are planning to turn your side hustle into a full time, make sure if you have a spouse or a partner and children, make sure everybody is on board and everybody is on the same page because you're literally not going to be getting a salary anymore. Your partner is like not really going to see you because you're going to be like, whether you're working full time, put the kids to bed, then you're working on your side hustle. Like it's not, it's yeah. Like you just, there's not going to be a whole lot of date nights and you're not like holidays and you're going to be on your phone a lot because if a customer reaches out, you want to get to them right away because that's what you do. Like you're, you guys know this, like when it's your business, like you're passionate, you want to be hugely responsive and you want to be engaged and especially when you're in that building. So managing, you know, managing all that and finding the balance there. I always say if you, uh, yeah, if your partner isn't on board, then your business will fail or your relationship will fail. So go in, eyes wide open, everyone. Yeah. Something I'm always talking about is uh, time management. And uh, like you were just saying, when you have a business, especially in the early going, it's omnipresent. It's always there, even if you are on vacation, like you just said. But I was listening to Gary V, and he was like, hey, I love this. I don't give a shit. I, this is on my mind all the time, and I'm fine with that. Is that the way you are, or do you have a time where you're like, no, I'm switching off? I'm probably not as scheduled as that because, as you guys know, entrepreneurship, your day flow looks really different. Like People are always like, tell me your, your, what a day in the life of Julius. I'm like, pick an A. Like, they're all different, <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, there is no answer to that. You'll just have to follow me around for a month and figure it out. So, you know, it, it does depend. The one thing that I do try to do when I'm engaged with my kids, try to engage with the kids and, and, and that sort of thing. And I also try to be really transparent. So for example, like if I'm going to a kid's hockey game, I might go to the hockey game and be like, look, 
you're going to look up. If you look up and see me, there's two things I'm going to do. I have to reply to one email while I'm here and I have to take one phone call while I'm here. Okay. And then I stick with it. So if they do look up and they know that I'm doing that, but they're not going to look up throughout and see me on my phone the whole time. I tell them straight up what I'm going to do. And, and, and that's fair. And then I, and then I really try to stick to it. Right. So it's just really, I think about managing expectations, but my kids are also very aware that if I don't have that phone and I don't do those things, I can't even go to hockey. So it does provide, you know, like I, I can go do the kindergarten trip to the apple orchard, but you know, at one point I'll probably be like, I do have to go take a call. Mm-hmm. So be it, you know, otherwise I couldn't even be there. So, you know, it, it's something that needs to be managed. And I, it does take a lot of self-control too, because like you said, it's omnipresent. You can always be answering and you want to be competitive. You want your customers to make your people happy and all that. But we do have the children as well. So manage everyone's expectations and mm-hmm. try to try to set some limits. And has there been a moment in this you know, because you've been on this business with Mabel's Labels for, you said, 18 years. Has there been a moment where you had a lot of self-doubt or where you really had to get vulnerable about, you know, some aspect of it and kind of overcome that hurdle? Yeah, I think probably the hardest times were the early days when you just were like, what if it doesn't happen? Like, I remember lying in bed and just doing the numbers. and, And I remember also us like having to buy a piece of equipment and being like, oh my gosh, we can't, like, what if we don't sell, like, we're going to have to dip into our own funds if we don't, of course, we ended up selling enough labor, we never had to dip their own funds, it covered itself, and we needed to do that, again, it's like cart before, sometimes you need to spend money to make money, we needed that piece of equipment, but when you're lying in bed going, oh man, what have I done, but I will say one of the advantages of having four partners was that if somebody was having a bit of a freak out and having a lull and being like, guys, we're never going to make it, What what have we done, the other three would be like, we got this, we got this. You, why don't you take a couple of days, whatever, you know? Go. So I see a lot of my solopreneur friends and I think about, man, when they get in their heads, who pulls them out? Who pulls them out? Like I had co-founders that would pull me out. So that's why I always say too, for entrepreneurs, like your network is your network. So be listening to podcasts, be connecting on Facebook to groups, go to online conferences, because if you're on your own and you're getting in your head, oh man, your head can do things to you. So you need to get those, you know, have those conversations because what you may make, make a really big deal might be a really small deal, but you build it up, right? We all, we all do it. Our brains are very neat to us that way. They lie to us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Julie, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by Mabel's Labels, whose founder we are having a fantastic conversation with right now. Julie Cole and three other mom friends knew years ago that they could do better than just scribbling their kids' names on masking tape. From there... The idea for a new product was born, which is the very best personalized waterproof name labels and tags that are equally cute as they are durable. Now, you said New Year's ago. Was it New Year's Eve? I said New Year's? New Year's ago. I didn't say few years ago? No, you said New Year's ago. Well, a few years ago, not New Year's ago, they did this. And Mabel's Labels has now become an award-winning and market-leading company loved by moms and kids alike. And dads. And dads. You we got to add dads in that part. Moms and dads and kids alike. Thank you. Shane, why do you love Mabel's Labels? Well, it'd be a shorter list if you asked why don't I love them. Because I love them for everything. It keeps you organized. They're stylish. They're durable. They're laundry safe, dishwasher, throw them in the microwave, and they have 100% guarantee. That's why I love them. 
Their line of products features baby bottle labels, allergy and medical alert products, sports labels, household labels, and seasonal items. Lucy loves them because she can get online with me and we can design them together. They're so cute. She can put her favorite animals or fruit or whatever on them and she can kind of show them off herself. So head on over to mabelslabels.ca to start creating your very own labels and use the promo code thisfamilytree15 for 15% off your order. They deliver internationally and offer free standard shipping in Canada and the US. Again, that is mabelslabels.ca and this family tree 15. But we are also supported by We are supported by Clorox on the go disinfecting wipes. More than ever, we're so aware of how easy it is to pick up the germs around us. And these wipes are so important to me right now. I can't even stress that enough. Absolutely. And not only that, but they are convenient and perfect for cleaning and disinfecting multi-surfaces when you're out and about. You can use this product on hard, non-porous surfaces such as, Shane, hit me. Cell phones, door handles, light switches, laptops, recycling bins, microwave exteriors, fridge exteriors, windows, stovetop exteriors, bedside furniture, weights and gym equipment, desks, countertops, car interiors, and of course, children's toys. (laughs) Take a breath. Good job. But you can use them basically anywhere. And these wipes are bleach free and kill 99.99% of bacteria and viruses. I've never heard of anyone getting a full 100%. So I would say this is the best you can get. Oh, top of the game. They're sold in a conveniently sized pouch that is so perfect to keep in cars, purses, at work, and even when you travel. You can purchase the Clorox on-the-go disinfecting wipes at your local Walmart, grocery store, or on Amazon. And now let's get back to our interview with Julie Cole. Now, I'm sure when the pandemic struck, you might have had some concern because schools, especially when schools are closing because labels are needed for schools, although you can still sell the labels, will there be a demand for the labels? How did you get through that totally unpredictable hurdle? Like there was no way to foresee that. So how do you handle the unforeseeable problems when they strike? Oh, that's, that's such a great question. It's something that a lot of small businesses, entrepreneurs have faced, obviously, in the last year. So Mabel's Labels, we, I mean, it was tough. We lost our camp season, right? Like all the sleepaway camps, no camps were, and that's our second busiest year. Back to school is our busiest, of course. Back to school, we had a very healthy back to school. But it wasn't without problems, too, because we could only have a few people in our factory making the labels. Our labels weren't going out as fast. And some customer, most of our customers were great. Some were, some were very unforgiving about that. We're like, we have to keep our staff safe. But we learned a lot about how, how we could have better communicated that. So we had some learnings as well. So, yeah, losing camp season was a thing. But I was so proud of our team. Like, our team does remain so innovative. And, you know, while all these other... Um, companies were like, hmm, maybe we should wait this out or what are we going to do? We put together a team now and we started working with a local maker and we created and we started doing face masks and um, and they were beautiful. And, and we also learned that, you know, the loyalty, they trust our product, our customers. Trust. So then they were buying our face masks because they know that our quality is so good. And, and we, you know, had our icons put on the mask. They're, they were beautiful. So we did that. And also, you know, we were able to do the round stickers, you know, like the stay six feet apart, they go on the floors and we did teacher packs so that when they're lining up for recess, the kids could step and we have the capability for that because we have the equipment to make labels. So doing, being able to do that. And we also, because of our equipment, have the, the capacity and capability to actually make PPE. Mm. So we were making, we were making face shields, that, oh. you know, ba- bakeries were buying and dentist office were buying. So we really did a big shift. And I was, like I said, I, I, felt so much pride in our team for their quick thinking, reaction, innovation, and uh, 
you know, because of that, we were able to keep that health, that bottom line, you know, healthier than most. So that ability to just adapt. So you just totally pivoted and adapted to what was in need, where our world is right now. That is a unique skill, Julie, obviously, that everybody doesn't have because that that has a lot of fear, I think, attached for some people. And is that just you or do you think you got to kind of hone those skills in parenthood and with having so many kids where everything's just kind of getting thrown at you? It is funny, like the parallel between home and work, right? Like it is funny how some of those skills are transferable for sure. Um, And I think it, it goes like this, like I found that the business, you know, we would get to a certain point. I'm like, oh, now we know what we're doing. And then we would experience growth or we'd be like, we have to hire people. We don't know anything about HR. We better learn something about HR or hire a consultant, you know? So I always said we had to get comfortable being uncomfortable. as soon as you get settled, there's going to be a change. And I think that's where, you know, the sport of entrepreneurship too, you have to enjoy that being uncomfortable, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. And I think that's, that's been part of our culture and part of the innovation around Mabel's, but it is part of parenting too. Like I remember being like, okay, now I know what I'm doing with these kids. And then you get an autism diagnosis or, oh, this is working great. Oh, now my little guy, you know, he's got a very unique learning profile. He's LT, ADHD, ADD. That, so, I mean, my one I can never apply one style of parenting to six kids. I have six different styles of parenting because they all process information differently. They all respond differently to my tactics. So, you know, I always say like, you know, my mom always taught us, you don't treat treat your children the same because in doing so you're treating them with inequality. They're not the same. They have different needs and you need to adapt your parenting to that. So yeah, I got comfortable with being uncomfortable at home and at work. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, dealing with uh, different personality types within your own family and dealing with employees. Now, my boss, he has so many interesting tactics that he uses to deal with employees. I think he read like uh, The Art of War and all these (laughs) books, recommendations. Like what is your general philosophy when it comes to dealing with employees and children, like how to manage all the different personalities you're going to come across? Like we have a family culture, we also have a work culture and it's run by our core values. So our family has our core values, you know, things like be quick to forgive (laughs) and things like, I'm going to sign that says, uh, that says it's hanging up and it says, if you want a second chore, ask why a sibling isn't doing a chore or complain about the first chore. (laughs) Because I hate hate whining kids. (laughs) Um, So I think, you know, you have your family core values and those are the things like the bro code and the things that you stand by. And then you have your, your work core values. I think you know, that was something that we learned at Mabel's, you know, hire slow, fire fast, right. you know, get the, get, get the right people on the bus. You know, if you have to let people go, that's okay. They're not the right fit. That's all right. You know? And I, I think you do have to adapt your communication methods, like understand that everybody's different needs and good leaders don't create followers. They create more leaders. Right. And, and I, I try to do that with my kids and I, I try to do that at work. And I think a big part of our leadership team at Mabel's Labels is just impeccable. Like I just, our management team, I, I just cannot believe I'm surrounded by this kind of talent. And like, I hire people that are smarter than me. I hire people that have skills that I don't have. I always say, if I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm getting a new room. Like, <laughs> right. So I think allowing also your, your team to be entrepreneurial. If they, if you micromanage them, you will not have retention. Your people are going to go. So let them, let them make mistakes. Let them make a bad hire now and again. Let them learn, you know? And if you let them be entrepreneurial and creative and make decisions, 
then they're going to have more skin in the game and they're going to feel more invested. And guess what? That's good for business. Yeah. Now we have a few employees right now and I'm curious, I hope I never have to do this, but how do you fire somebody? What's the best <laughs> way to do that? So um, look, it never is easy. If you uh, sleep the night before you fire someone, you are officially dead inside. You will not sleep. You will not sleep. Um, when we've had to do it, uh, we have always, you, you have to do it swiftly. You have to turn off their, I mean, you hear the story of the, oh, let me just type one thing on my laptop. And then they email the entire mm -hmm. company and say terrible things, whatever. So, you know, you got to shut things down. You have to be, you have to be very careful from an HR perspective, but we always are kind. Uh, mm -hmm. We're straight to the point. We always, it's a, it's a cost. It's an investment. We, we always get like a night's fridge or we have somebody there that we can help them with their resume. We pay for, you know, a consultant to help them go to next steps. And it does cost us a lot of money and it's worth it because mm -hmm. a healthy exit is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, Julie, you have so many skills that, geez, like I want you to impart on me. Like I, I want to continue talking to you forever because I just want to continue learning from you. And I think about your own kids and, you know, the the values that you impart on them, right? And to have, you said you, so you have a child with autism, ADHD, and even a child who is non-binary. And these are big changes, you know, not only for parents, but for kids to be going through and learning to deal with in society with people that they don't know and people that don't inherently care about them. And as a parent, when you have these kind of challenges, and I know you have, you know, a unique outlook because you're also running a company, but what is, what do you think are some of the most important values to impart on your kids? I think the only thing that I want for my kids is uh, for them to have self-confidence. That's, that's the most important tool that will carry you through. And um, so, you know, that is just something that we try to instill that. And there's obviously strategies and ways about that. But honestly, I do think this whole parenting gig is all about the role modeling. You can talk till you're blue in the face and, you know, be like, oh, you're perfect the way you are. But if you're going around saying, oh, oh I'm still got my mummy tummy or, oh, look, I'm getting wrinkles. If you're going around being like, oh, I'm not smart enough or I'm not good at math or like, if you're going around like that, that's what they're going to hear. And that's what they're going to role model. So I think, you know, you guys for like, even for you too, like, I think, you know, for your girls to be raised, seeing their parents do something they're passionate about and connecting people and, and building a community, like, you know how important that is? Like, I love, I love that my kids, you know, come and make labels in the summer after their summer jobs and that they've been around this because, you know, they see a confident mom, they see a mom that makes mistakes, but gets over it and moves on. They see a mom that doesn't beat herself up about stupid things, um, that just owns it. And they are, and they're just such wonderful little little too confident sometimes kids. <laughs> You've created monsters. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> now, do entrepreneurs retire? Do you retire? Right. So, you know, I think uh, it depends. I mean, that's why there's so many serial entrepreneurs, right? Once you get the bug, it's, it's hard. It's hard to go back. And a lot of people can't go back to working for the man, right? Like it's like, I always find entrepreneurs are very unemployable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the boss. I'm the boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I do think, you know, once you get it, it is, it, it's something that gives you, you know, that it, it, it feeds you, right? If you mm -hmm. feed your soul, like you say, there he's like, this is what I love. I want to answer my phone all the time. Like that's, that's, that's part of it. 
I think I will, I've got, I, I've got a, two other things on the go as well. Like, you know, entrepreneurs tend to have a bunch of things on the go and there are only so many hours in a day and you have to prioritize and you have to get the help when you need it. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's, uh, I hope to retire one day. Yeah. It's so tricky (laughs) (laughs) because the type, like I always wanted to be an entrepreneur because I always thought that meant you're going to be rich. And I thought I'm going to retire when I'm 50. I'm going to just be so rich because I'm going to be this great entrepreneur and then I'll never do anything again. But the catch 22 is that personality type to get rich. You can't shut off. It's not as easy as that. And it becomes difficult to relax. And that's what I'm finding up. I'm, I'm so wound up right now. It's hard for me to sit on the couch and just chill. And you know what? And I will say this, and you'll see, and this is sort of, I think, the injustice around entrepreneurship. And I'm going to be real here for a minute. So, you know, for us, for me to have been able to drop out of the workforce meant that daddy needed to be making enough money to be paying for Max ABA, to be, you know, paying a mortgage to, you know, have all these kids, blah, blah, blah. So I was able to do Mabel's labels definitely out of place of privilege. I think that needs to be acknowledged because I know a lot of entrepreneurial people who would kick butt, but they need to keep their day jobs because they need to keep feeding their children or they have children with disabilities that need treatment. They need speech therapy, they need all the things. So I think there's that. So when people are like, oh, you were so brave. I'm like, not really, because we could do it. So let's just, let's just be real there. The second thing is, when you build, scale, and sell a successful company, you also have money from that. So it's easier to go and start another company because you've got money to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you do see these. So again, like I, it's a cycle. I do see how the rich get richer mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the entrepreneurship space. And we see that. Like if you look at some of your favorite entrepreneurs, it's because they sell their companies. They're sitting on God's money from that. So they can afford to take risks, right? So I think we just need to acknowledge that for a sec, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I think that's I think that's incredibly important. But that dangling carrot yeah. can be almost a bad thing because then you never want to stop. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, when when am I going to relax? When am I going to have I that know. time in the sun? But it uh, might not be in, it. Might not be in your jeans, Shane. Yeah. You might not have you, not you, he, you don't have the I'm done gene for yeah. entrepreneurship <laughs> and kids. Yeah. <laughs> no, Julie. That's why he's married to me because. I have a really easy time kicking back and relaxing and just coasting. So <laughs> too I, I, easy, I think too like... easy. No, she's she's good. She really is a hard worker, much smarter than me. So of that course. helps being in business with someone like that. Um, my last question: What is the best product at Maple's Labels? If I'm looking to just dip my toe into the labeling world and I'm unsure, what what do I buy? Ah, you know what? I'm going to say buy our classic label. It, you know, goes on things. It's a dishwasher, microwave safe. It's UV resistant. So, you know, it could go on all those bottles and sippy cups, lunch containers and all that jazz. It's, it's a beautiful, it's personalized. They're super cute, but I I do love our clothing labels too, because they're peel and stick. You don't have to iron. And now we've got this new clothing stamp that everyone's going gaga over. So you can't pick one. Just head on over to Mabel's Labels. But you know what? You could get the combo, like a starter pack, and then you can have a little bit of everything, and then you figure out which one you need for. So the clothing stamp, what is that? How does that work? So basically, we make the stamp. It has your kid's name and ink, and you just put it right on the material, and it goes through a wash a whole bunch of times, and then you stamp it again. It's That's awesome. amazing. That's very cool and yeah. very fun. Yeah. I think if I was yeah. a kid, I'd love to see my uh, name on a stamp. Yeah. You know, and kids do love, like, that's the thing. And parents too, like, you know, parents who have kids, particularly with unique names, they can't buy anything off the shelf or whatever. 
you know, you love seeing your baby's favorite friends. Of course. It's, it's so fun. And parents invest so much money in beautiful things for their children. They don't want to end, them to end up in the lost and found. And now particularly, like our messaging has changed because it used to be, you know, we don't want it in the lost and found. Also, now we don't want germy mix-ups. We don't yeah. want another kid picking up your kid's sippy cup or water bottle off the bench at hockey or like all that stuff, right? Everybody keep your germs to yourself. Yeah. It's <laughs> a great point. Yeah. Nothing is sadder than when you go to like Disney World and you're looking for your name on the license plate and it's just not there. <laughs> no shames. <laughs> no. There was no shame sometimes. There was a lot of Sean's. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Yeah. But Julie, you know, I totally uh, admire uh, you and your ethic and the communities that you've built because you built, you know, obviously your family is like a community. There's so many of you and you sing the praises of your management community, the people that you have working for you. But then also the community that you've made of mothers who love Mabel's labels. I mean, on Instagram and Facebook, especially, you have so many moms that chat with each other and with you. And it's just this really symbiotic relationship that I think is so fantastic. And I really hope that our listeners, you know, can get something out of that. And I know that they'll enjoy it. But if they want to check out you, your personal or, you know, Mabel's labels, where can they find all of that on the Internet? For sure. So a lot of stuff can be found right on our website, but you're right. We have a very vibrant community and that is what has made this business so much fun. And like our, our community, we have over 200,000 Facebook fans, right? Like a huge Insta following because we love our customers. We love our community and they've made us what we are and we love great content. Um, so yeah, mableslabels.com. And if you want to find my stuff, mableslabels.com slash Julie cool. I'm on Insta at cool.julie. And of course at Mabel's labels. You can find us anywhere. Is there a Mabel? <sighs> no. She just rhymes with label. Yeah. I just, it just, it, yeah. yeah. And you know what? We, we wanted a, a logo that would be like vibrant and feisty and like, just like our brand. And we want to it like marketing. We want people to remember it, and it works. No, oh, it definitely works. I feel like I should have named I should have named a kid Mabel though, just so that I had a better answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe a pet. You can always name a pet yeah. Mabel. It could yeah. work. But Julie, you go. thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We really appreciate it. It was such a joy talking to you, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your week. God, we have the full thing. It's only Monday. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Thanks Enjoy. so much for thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy speaking to you too. You're yeah, else. likewise. You're, you're dynamite duo. Oh, thank you so much. All right, have a great <laughs> afternoon. Bye, Bye Julie. Julie. Okay, that was Julie. She is incredible in so many ways, but I really just want to like suck the energy out of her she's and like a Red take Bull. it for myself. I know she's yeah. like Red Bull, human like, Red Bull. Afterwards, I was like, why am I stressing about? Let me just go. Let me just fix this. Let me just send this. <laughs> Because really, she doesn't, you know, I feel like she's not a big time waster. No, I, I like the way she does life, too, because she has a sort of like nonchalance and coolness, even though she's getting so many things done. She still yeah, it's like goes with the flow. It's like not manic, but like high energy and chill at the same time, like easygoing, but like, huh, like yeah, too, it's hard to describe. No, it's cool. It's very cool. But let's now it's time to go to our next interview with. Sarah Tiermakopenkin. Your friend, Sarah Tiermakopenkin. I didn't, that's a difficult last name and I never say it. I call her Sarah T. Well, Sarah Tiermakopenkin and then her married name's Pankin. Okay. I don't think she's going by Sarah Pankin, but I always say Sarah Just put it all out there just so she knows. There you go. 
Uh, and yeah, obviously, this is a very cool interview. We talk about so much stuff. We do. <laughs> you know, I might have gotten too invasive into her life with some of these questions. I don't know. It got derailed, but it was a, it was a fun conversation. But before we get to it, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard, like really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as tough. And you heard what happened when we ran out of Hello Bello diapers. Don't let it happen to you. It was a nightmare, but Hello Bello, which is founded by Kristen Ball and Dax Shepard, is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. And they're stylish. They're so stylish. Their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 fun rotating designs throughout the year, and they're always like on brand with the season or the holiday. Very cute. But each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-sized product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15 percent off of any add-ons like the bubble bath the wipes the diaper rash cream shane what add-on would you get in the next one right now my hair is a little tangled so i'd get the detangler and use it for myself and it smells like watermelon the one we like it is so nice but to get hello bellows super soft super absorbent and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code this family tree 30 for 30 percent off your diaper bundle order that's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved i'm gonna repeat this because 30 percent off is pretty huge so that's hellobello.ca promo code this family tree 30 that's right to start bundling with 30 percent off your first order so don't forget it's hellobello.ca promo code this family tree 30 this promo is applicable to canadians only but we are also supported by my breast friend. My breast friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. For more than 25 years, my breast friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals to support successful nursing. And just to say it really quickly, breast is spelled B-R-E-S-T, not B-R-E-A-S-T like you're used to. And lactation consultants around the world credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible, which Shane and I can both attest to. Shane, what was it like feeding Lucy with the pillow compared to not with the pillow? Not with the pillow. It was like, ah, with the pillows. Like, ooh. I like that. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for successful breastfeeding. And you can purchase My Breast Friend online at buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, and amazon.com. But now let's get to our interview with Sarah Tiermaco. Are you ready, Sarah? Yeah, I guess. I'm a little nervous. Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're a second time guest. How how could you be know, nervous? But this is now it's like real big and oh, it's we got like video. very exciting and <laughs> I'm kind of just an amateur. Oh, okay. <laughs> you're well. You're not an amateur, of course. So first of all, uh, you are my longtime friend, my university roommate, and now a professional that I go to with things when, especially when I was pregnant, and now that I'm postpartum, because you know stuff. Sarah, how do you know stuff? What is your actual title? I am a doctor of chiropractic. I have been in practice for almost seven years. And my husband and I opened our own practice immediately out of school. So now we own Pinnacle Hill Chiropractic in Rochester, New York, in the USA. And we've been kind of expanding just over the last really five years since we rebranded to Pinnacle Hill Chiropractic. So we've been expanding. We now have five chiropractors, one of whom does nutrition work as well, as well as two massage therapists and three office staff members. 
All right. So this will sound like a non sequitur, but <laughs> I love a good love story. And I actually don't know how you and Mike met. I like assume it was in school, but is there anything there? So I was in my first semester and he was in his sixth semester of the program. So there's 10 total. And I got a job working at the admissions office at the chiropractic college because they were always looking for Canadian students. So I went in for my first day of my job as a uh, admissions student worker or whatnot. And I walk in and he's sitting in like the back corner of the room and he's got his feet up on the, on the desk <laughs> and he's wearing these big yellow Timberlands. And I'm like, Oh, get those off the table. <laughs> but that's how I met him. And he had this like fluffy, fluffy, dark, dark brown curly hair. And then we kind of started to talk a little bit and it kind of all just happened from there. So that's how I met him. We both worked in the admissions office and it was kind of a small world. And then he ended up actually moving back to Rochester pretty soon after we met, just because that's where he did his clinic placement. So it was not quite long distance, but it was, you know, an hour drive mm -hmm. back and forth for a few years while I was finishing school. So probably about two and a half years while I was finishing school. So Mike's like a bodybuilder. Was he in bodybuilder mode at that <laughs> moment? So I actually didn't know him while he was bodybuilding. So he was, I met him in sixth semester. And when he was in his third, he did two or three bodybuilding shows. So during the program, he was going to school like 40 hour weeks, plus studying, plus having to eat like seven or eight meals a day. And before he would go to bed, he'd make like 12 eggs or something insane. <laughs> so he was eating, studying, going to school, exercising like crazy, and then competed in his first bodybuilding competition when he was in school. Since then, he actually hasn't competed at all in bodybuilding, but he's competed in a few powerlifting competitions since then. So his sport has changed ever so slightly, but he's actually hoping to compete in another bodybuilding show before next summer. So before the summer of 2022 is kind of the goal. Mm -hmm. I was going to say like Mike is still a huge guy. And I think, you know, knowing him and picturing him in the story that you were talking about, you know, knowing that he's just like his biceps are the size of Shane and I combined. It just adds so much to it. So I, I really want the listeners to know that. And I mean, look at you now, you're an American citizen and you have a like a thick Rochester accent. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's interesting though, because I have so many patients that come in and they talk to me and they're like, where are you from? Because I don't, it's not quite Rochester enough that people think I'm from here, mm -hmm. but everybody who's not from here is like, well, that's <laughs> now back to you and Mike for a second. Now, when you're in chiropractic, I am terrible with saying this. Chiro it's chiropractic college. Chiropractic college. Is it the best place to like, I don't know, like get be romantic because there's so many excuses to touch each other? Yeah. Like to practice or does that happen <laughs> or is that like, oh, that's a no, no, don't do that. Not necessarily, but you're with everybody in the program. So the school is very, very small. Mm -hmm. There's maybe 800 students, not even in the entire program, not just your class. So it's really small and you kind of recognize everybody, you know, everybody. So you're spending literally every waking moment from 8 a.m. in the morning to 6 p.m. at night every day with the same people. So it is very common for chiropractic students to marry other chiropractic yeah. students. <laughs> so a lot of people that I graduated with, a lot of people that Mike graduated with all married other chiropractors that we either met in school, met after school. Now, a lot of people own their practices with their spouse. So yeah. it's a very common place to kind of meet your spouse, but I wouldn't say that it's 
oh, it's necessarily like the touching that makes people like start to have feelings for each other or fall in love and all of that. I think it's really just the close proximity. Like you're constantly with people all the time. Okay. Cause I noticed there were so many husband and wife teams. I'm like, it's cause it's a touching thing. I bet there's a lot of masseuses who do it too, but that explains it. Sounds like a hot school. (laughs) (laughs) But how, how much practice, like if you're trying to cut hair, you can do it on a dummy, but with chiropractic work, I would assume it has to be on another person. So how, how do you practice without hurting somebody? What's the risk level? Like, how do you do it? Chiropractic care has a very low risk anyways, just okay. because it is a very conservative type of treatment. However, you kind of just are tossed to the wolves and you got to just find a friend who's willing to let you practice on them. So <laughs> your very first semester, at least at New York Chiropractic College, where we went, your very first semester, you are doing palpation skills. So you're kind of just feeling muscles, feeling joints, just really basic things. There's no adjusting, no manipulation that's happening that early. And then as you get into your second semester, that's where you're going to start to learn all of those manipulation skills. And then the first time you do your manipulation, it is on another person. So you learn all the setups and you learn kind of the mechanics behind it and how forceful it's supposed to be, how gentle it's supposed to be, how fast you're supposed to be. And then from there, you just kind of learn on a person, which is nice because they're at least able to give you that feedback. Mm -hmm. There are some institutions that will use like a force plate. So it'll actually be attached to a computer and you can put your force for your adjustment into that force plate. And it'll give you a bunch of information about, you know, how fast you were, what your velocity was, all of those types of things. So that's a little bit higher tech. I've been out of the early parts of my schooling for almost, almost 10 years at this point. It'll be 10 years in September since I've lived in the U S which is wild. So technology has definitely continued to expand over the last few years. But yeah, when we were in school, it was kind of just learn on your friends. Now, Sarah, you know, you mentioned how in chiropractic college, you know, you're waking up, you're going to sleep, you're seeing the same people every single day, all day long, and that you kind of develop these bonds from that. But now, I mean, you and Mike are married. Obviously, you live together. Not only that, but you work together, you own a practice together. And that's a whole other level of stress when you are your own boss. And on top of that, you have been running a business as entrepreneurs through throughout COVID. And you guys lived in Rochester. And obviously, everybody knows New York was one of the hardest hit early places that really went through a ton of hell. And you got now too, I think cases are picking up there just like they are here. That's, you know, I think another level of like, seeing each other all the time, because you're seeing each other in every capacity. So I don't like, can I ask this? Like, what, what's this year been like? How are you doing now? So people ask us pretty much that question all the time, just minus the COVID topic. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you guys live together, work together? How are you married? How do you run a business together? What we decided to do relatively early on in our practice careers is we made our schedules so that they were completely offset of of each other. Okay. So Monday, Wednesdays, I work from eight to one and he works from one to seven. And then we go vice versa on Tuesdays. So Tuesdays, he's there in the morning. I'm there in the afternoon. And then he's off Thursdays and I work afternoons on Thursdays and I'm off Fridays and he works mornings on Fridays, which has been really nice. So the deal we made is whoever works the morning shift is responsible for making dinner so that when you come home at seven o'clock, dinner's ready. So it's kind of this nice flow that we've been in. But based on our profession, It's not like we're sitting in an office across from each other at the same desk for eight hours a day or anything like that. 
we're really with our individual patients. We're in our treatment rooms. We're not in the same room with each other. And to be honest, we barely see each other, even if we were overlapping. Mm -hmm. So that is nice being spouses and not necessarily working constantly side by side and right in front of each other's faces the entire time. And then when it comes to COVID, we actually, I would say we spent more time outside this past summer, the summer of 2020, than we have in the last 10 years of our lives. Yeah. What we did was we shut down our business on March 20th. So that's when it was kind of March 16th is when of everything started to get yeah. really of 2020 is kind of when everything in Rochester started to get a little crazy. So at that point, we really didn't know what to do. So we shut, we shut down completely. We laid off everybody, our entire staff, which was terrifying. You know, mm-hmm. they depend on us to make a living. And I said, I'm so sorry, but I, if we have no patients coming in because we don't know if it's safe, we can't, we can't keep mm-hmm. you employed. So we were lucky enough that they were all able to get unemployment really easily. And it happened very quickly, but we shut our office down for 11 days and at that 11 day mark. So that brought us to April 1st is when we reopened and it was a slow, slow reopen. Mike and I only worked three half days. And then our two other chiropractors only worked two half days. And that continued that way through August. So we were at a very, very limited capacity for a long time, but that meant that I was off on Mondays and Fridays (laughs) every week. So I had a four day weekend, which you know, sounds wonderful. But when you really think about the reason that I had that, it was because just like social distancing guidelines. And at the time in New York, we were only allowed to see emergency patients. So there just, there wasn't enough people coming in that were in enough pain that it had to happen that way. So it was really nice. We did a ton of stuff outside. We built a deck, Mike cut his hand open, building a deck. It was like this whole thing. But it was great. Like it was a great summer. And then starting in September, we decided to pick back up to four days a week. So each of our chiropractors are working four days a week. Our massage therapists were able to come back kind of the middle of June is when they were deemed essential by the state. And then our office staff was able to come back kind of in June as well. So we're back up to normal right now. However, all of our chiropractors have decided that we no longer want to work five days a week. So we are all going to be working four days of four days a week for the rest of eternity is pretty much our goal. That's awesome. So we're really excited about that. And it has really helped with our work-life balance. So I yeah. think that in general, my mental health is better. I'm less stressed. I'm less anxious just about, you know, how many people are coming into the office. I just, I just feel so much better being able to not always have my head work, which is awesome. So we're always talking to people now we're interviewing them about the takeaways that they're going to implement when COVID's over. Is that one of them for you? It was having that time off and now you're going to keep it going from now till the end of existence. Absolutely. We would really like to only have to work four days a week moving forward. Eventually my goal I think would be to continue to decrease my hours and just manage a little bit more or spend more time at the office, maybe three days a week and have three longer days and then be off four days. You know, once we start to have kids and we think about what our family wants to look like and what childcare looks like and things like that. But I think that that's at least the goal for right now is to continue to only work four days a week and see if it's manageable. We have a really great team right now. We have three other chiros, two massage therapists and our three office staff members. I actually just hired 
a part-time business operations coordinator. So her job is pretty much to do the things that are part of my job that I don't want to do anymore, (laughs) which is wonderful. You know, she's putting together an operations manual, our employee handbook. She's going to be responsible for like any HR things. She's helping us put together like closing procedures and opening procedures and all of these things that we kind of just fly by the seat of our pants sometimes. So then when you have somebody who has a background in operations come in and they ask you all these questions and you say, I don't do that. I don't do that. And she's almost ready to have an aneurysm sitting in front of you. You know, you know that, okay, we're getting big enough at this point that where we kind of have to be a little bit more legit than just like the mom and pop shop that we used to be. Mm-hmm. And what is chiropractic work? I know that's a very rudimentary question. It's just, I, I used to think it was like a massage and then I was thinking it was like something that hurts. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it even is. <laughs> so chiropractic care in general is the treatment of the neuromusculoskeletal system. So we tend to focus on nerves, muscles, joints. The kind of bread and butter of our profession is the chiropractic adjustment or a spinal manipulation. So manipulation is pretty much putting motion into a joint that isn't moving the way it's supposed to. When you do that, you could possibly hear what's called a cavitation, which is that popping sound that you can hear when you like crack your knuckles or when you go to the chiropractor and you get adjusted. So that sound actually isn't bones cracking or rubbing or anything like that, it's actually gas releasing from the joint capsule. The same way that if you were to open a can of pop, the carbon monoxide or whatever's in there gets released from there. So in the body, it's nitric. Um, I think it's nitrous oxide, I think is what it is. Maybe cut that part in because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but, but yeah, so that's what is happening is it's gas releasing from the joint capsule, which then will help produce better mobility in the joint. And it actually, that cavitation and that motion putting into the joint, that manipulation actually creates a neurophysiological response that's sent directly to the brain, which tells our body to decrease our pain response immediately. And that's why people leave the chiropractic office feeling so much better, which then goes into why chiropractors have such high job satisfaction is because people are normally very happy leaving our office. And that's why patients have great satisfaction with chiropractic care in general is because they tend to most of the time leave the office feeling better than when they did when they walked in. And can anyone go to a chiropractor? Like I'm feeling okay now, but let's say I want to feel amazing. Can I go to you and you make me feel that way? Absolutely. So most people will say that, you know, if I have back pain, I'm going to go to the chiropractor. So we see a lot of low back pain, mid back pain, neck pain, headaches, We see a lot of those things, and those are kind of the standard things that the general public thinks that we treat, but we actually can treat any joint in the body. So we can treat the TMJ, so the jaw, we can do knees, we can do hips, elbows, wrists, toes, anything. Um, But you don't have to be in pain in order to see a chiropractor either. It's just that the majority of our patients are in pain and they're looking for some type of relief, but wellness or maintenance care is very beneficial as well. I believe that there's a research study that came out a few years ago that says that getting adjusted every two weeks is very ideal, especially if you're not having an active complaint. Um, Most people probably don't go to the chiropractor that often. We tend to see most of our patients who are just looking for a little bit of wellness, maybe every three to six weeks, depending on, you know, how fast some of their tightness is coming back or how active they are, how much they sit for work. So it tends to be pretty variable. Yeah. See, I I never saw a need for a chiropractor. To be honest, I was scared of chiropractors. 
And I was like, I don't want anybody messing around with my spine, my bones. Like it wasn't my thing. And then I got pregnant and I started having these awful pains. And, you know, things shift and as relaxing kind of goes in your body, things move around. You're carrying a lot more weight than normal. And I started talking to you about it during my first pregnancy. And you were, you know, over the phone or you'd send me like photos of yourself doing like certain exercises and everything. And the exercises that you would give me were really helping me. And then I was like, you know what, like I'm going to get a pregnancy adjustment. Like I'm going to go and see a chiropractor. And I started to go, I think I'd go twice a month. Was this with Lucy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I started to go twice a month. And this was also based on Danielle uh, Danielle Graham's recommendation Mm because she had like a really quick birth. She had like a 30 minute birth. And she's like, I saw a chiropractor. I think that's why I gave birth so quick. So I'm like, man, like I'm going to start. Started going every two weeks. It really helped the pain I was experiencing. And then with Lucy, it took, what, 12 minutes? And with Betty, it took like five minutes. Like the babies flew out of me. Wait, is that is that, <laughs> is, is that a thing? Is it like you go to a... Yes. That actually is? Wow. Yes, it is a thing. So getting adjusted during pregnancy is actually going to help keep the baby in the best possible position for birth, which is what we want them to be in, that vertex position while they're head down. And it's also going to aid in easier childbirth and quicker delivery. So yes. And if you exercise during pregnancy as well, that all kind of goes together and that'll make things even better. Mm -hmm. And see, I couldn't, honestly, like I I tried to exercise in both pregnancies, but then around the six month mark, I was carrying so low. And like, of course, like I think my lupus exacerbated a lot of my symptoms, but I was in so much pain that for the last, I don't know, two and a half months, three months of both pregnancies, I couldn't move. Like I could not walk. It was horrible. Like when I was pregnant with Betty, I couldn't even pick up blue anymore. It was, it was really bad. And where am I going with this? Hold on. I just totally. (laughs) A lot of people, a lot of people have musculoskeletal pain during pregnancy, but 25% of them will end up with disabling low back pain or disabling musculoskeletal symptoms similar to that, just because their body is changing so much. And if their body isn't used to it, or they had any type of pre-existing condition, possibly the lupus that was exacerbating some of those musculoskeletal complaints during pregnancy, it can make it worse. And it's just not fun sometimes. Yeah. So then what was like when I would go to see the chiropractor, what were they doing? That was so helpful. Cause I was like, just give me the pregnancy package and then they do stuff and it felt great. And it, it really did help. So what, what would they have been doing? So the standard way to adjust or treat pregnant women is with what's called the Webster technique. It's kind of the gold standard with pregnancy manipulation. The way that the technique started is actually a chiropractor a while ago, kind of back in the day, he started adjusting women who were pregnant with this type of adjustment, this assessment technique. And he was noticing that babies were flipping head down. So that's really what the technique is kind of advertised as is it's help. It's helpful in keeping the baby head down. However, it's also just the fact that you're getting that neurophysiological response. You're moving some joints, you're getting things moving, you're working on some of the muscles, but as more literature has come out, it actually says that relaxin has no association with pelvic girdle pain during pregnancy. There's so many other factors that can go into experiencing pelvic girdle pain or like pregnancy related mm-hmm. pubic joint pain, low back pain, which are a previous history of low back pain, previous history of low back pain during a pregnancy, low back pain that hasn't been treated. 
if you were a smoker, how old you were when you got your first period, your job satisfaction. There's a lot of like biopsychosocial things that are kind of coming to light in the literature showing that it's not necessarily relaxing that's causing that ligament laxity that you hear a lot of people talk about. That's so that's so interesting because it is such a uh, like, I mean, so many women, all my pregnant friends have experienced it and it can be in itself like just so debilitating. It stops you in your tracks and really hurts. Is this a known thing, though, to like do women know, like, are you seeing a ton of pregnant women? We do see a lot of pregnant women. However, a lot of pregnant women come in during their second pregnancy and didn't really realize that they could even see a chiropractor during pregnancy or that it was beneficial. Unfortunately, the medical community and the OBGYNs, actually in Rochester, it's not as bad. We have a very progressive birth community in Rochester, but a lot of OBGYNs, it's not the first thing they think of when it comes to musculoskeletal pain during pregnancy. Sometimes it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, do some yoga or you can go on walks, you know, see if that helps take Tylenol, use some ice, maybe use a belly band. But a lot of times the actual referral to a chiropractor doesn't necessarily happen. So a lot of women aren't aware unless they have friends that have maybe done it before, unless they have looked online and they're trying to find a little bit more information about what can help. But yeah, we see a lot of pregnant women, but there's a ton of women that don't even know it's an option. Why do you think, though, that it isn't top of mind as a referral? Is it just like there's something at play there or they're your enemies or like they just don't believe in the science behind it? Why is that? I would say that. So in my opinion, an OBGYN's job or even a midwife's job is to keep mom and baby alive. Mm -hmm. That is their number one priority. They have a whole hell of a lot more education on how to keep a baby and a mom alive than I do as a chiropractor. My specialty is that neuromusculoskeletal aspect. And in medical school, they're not getting a ton of musculoskeletal education. They do get some of it. Obviously, there's a lot of anatomy and a lot of physiology that kind of overlaps between the two professions, but they're not learning you know, how to treat neuromusculoskeletal pain conservatively because during pregnancy, you're not taking Advil, Aleve, you know, all of the things that are truly going to help decrease inflammation in the body. So you know, the only thing that you can take, which doesn't really help with pain is that Tylenol. So I think that a lot of OBGYNs just don't know what the options are to treat musculoskeletal pain conservatively. You know, PT is a great option. Physical therapy is a great option during pregnancy, as well as acupuncture. You know, acupuncture is magical during pregnancy. And then if you see all three providers throughout your pregnancy, it's just going to be that much more beneficial. See, that's like, and I really, so the two things that helped me most in pregnancy and postpartum, one was chiropractor. The second was pelvic floor physiotherapy. Mm-hmm. Like wildly helpful like, from the time that it really started to hurt, um, which again was like, I'd say month seven for me in both pregnancies. And two, I don't know, can I call them industries? Like two disciplines, I guess, that mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of from any of my healthcare providers and just heard word of mouth from other moms who had like wild success with all of this. And I know, Sarah, you are getting more into women's health and you are now specializing in like women's health. And I just, before we get into that, I'm just curious what pushed you in that direction? So when I first went into my clinic experience, 
there was a student who was an acupuncture student at the time. And she was a little bit older. And my clinician said, Hey, Sarah, have you ever treated a pregnant woman before? And I said, <laughs> Nope. And he's like, well, today's your first day. Let's go. I'm like, Ooh, okay. <laughs> so, um, he kind of showed me, you know, what to do. He gave me a little bit of background on Webster, which was that Webster technique, which I hadn't taken the certification course yet. And I kind of just went for it and I really enjoyed it. And then when I got into practice, I said, I'm going to be a pregnancy and pediatric chiropractor, which a lot of female doctors coming out of chiropractic college want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that after the fact, (laughs) (laughs) so a lot of people want to do pregnancy and pediatrics. So I started to really dive deep into learning more about pregnancy. And I would say maybe over the last three years is where I've started to really learn more about postpartum care, because unfortunately postpartum care in Canada and the U S is nowhere close to where it should be. In Europe, in some countries in Europe, you automatically get 12 postpartum pelvic floor PT appointments. Like automatically, you're expected to kind of go to those, you get those, that's the standard of care. Unfortunately, that's not the case here. During pregnancy, you might see your OBGYN or your midwife 15, 16 times if that's not a high-risk pregnancy. And postpartum, after you are discharged from the hospital, you have one appointment that is very, very different. And that one appointment at six weeks, there's a whole hell of a lot of stuff that can happen within that first six weeks. And there's a lot of women that don't even realize that they can call their medical provider sooner than six weeks if something's going on. So when I'm seeing my postpartum moms for the first time, I want to see them between that two and four week mark, because if there's some type of postpartum mood disorder that's going on, I want to be the one to catch that so that if I have to say, I want to refer you to a therapist, or I want to refer you back to your OBGYN or to your primary care doctor for a medical evaluation or some type of medical intervention, I want to make sure that I'm giving them the best care that we can early enough. Cause I think six weeks is it's brutal. Far. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's scary. And it's, it, you know, it makes you think, especially in the U S that there is so little respect for mothers, even though that's like what society t- wants women to do, you know, grow up, have kids, keep contributing to, you know, everything. And then we're offered so little care. And again, with alternative care, like pelvic floor physiotherapy and chiropractic, you don't even know it exists half the time. And the only reason I even found out about pelvic floor physiotherapy was because I was getting my eyelashes done at that time in my life. It was a special time. <laughs> I'm so I'm glad I stopped. It took, <laughs> took so much uh, money from me. But uh, at the place that I got my eyelashes done, it was actually a pelvic floor physiotherapy clinic. And then the eyelash lady just like she had her own room that she did this thing in and I'd go in and it would be photos of pregnant women and then photos of athletes. And I was curious, what is the correlation between pregnant women and athletes? Like why those two groups? So when it comes to athletics and pregnancy, so, and this kind of goes back to the medical community too. Unfortunately, most medical providers don't have any exercise education, because once again, their job is to keep mom and baby alive and not necessarily rehab-based and education-based. So when it comes to pregnancy exercise, being able to see a provider like a chiropractor or a physical therapist who has an education in 
how to help a woman continue to exercise, whether that's continue to run, continue to spin, continue to do yoga, continue to strength train. You know, I think that as a conservative healthcare provider, you need to have the answers to those questions because a lot of times the medical field doesn't have those answers. And then moms are sifting through the internet, trying to find answers and they don't know what's safe, what's safe for the baby, what's going to put them at risk for more pain and all of these things. So the reason that I've really started to dive deeper into postpartum care and started this newsletter is because I found that women are having a really hard time figuring out what's evidence-based, what are the right answers and kind of how to move forward and who can they see to get these answers. And Sarah, what's this newsletter? This is our first mention of it. So can you describe this a little more? I've only kind of heard about it through text and when you were choosing the name for it, but it is very exciting. I'm curious of the name also. Yes. So the newsletter I started is, I would say it's an evidence-based newsletter that's going to give women the answers to their women's health questions. And it's called Wellness Unbound. So I wanted it to kind of be a little bit edgy and almost show that there's no boundaries when it comes to women's health and we can talk about anything and we can address any topic without necessarily feeling like we're stepping on anybody's toes. Any questions that women have, I'm willing to answer. And if I don't have the answer, I'm going to either go to other healthcare providers to help collaborate with those answers or do the research, get the literature so that I'm giving everybody the best information possible. What I've noticed over the last probably year of my practice career is I would say I've been telling people I've been going through a midlife practice career kind of (laughs) thing right now. So what's happening is a lot of the things that I've learned as a chiropractor, as as a women's health chiropractor, I have actually been learning that a lot of that is outdated information because I've been starting to take a lot of physical therapy courses. And a lot of the physical therapy courses I've been taking have been really, really um, research and evidence-based. And it's showing me that the chiropractic profession is kind of behind, is really behind the times in a lot of this pregnancy postpartum care, especially with that relaxing comment. So when I was going through school, when I was taking my first continuing education classes, you know, relaxing is what causes all the pain. You know, that's that's the big buzzword. That's what everybody knows. And the further I dive into physical therapy and all of these courses, I'm learning that there is no correlation, which blew my mind at first. But then as you get a little bit deeper and you look through the literature and you talk to other physical therapists and other colleagues who are much more educated than I am and who are doing this research, you're kind of just having a whole new broad spectrum of things that you're kind of learning, which is awesome. You know, as a young provider, being able to continue to learn that way is great. But yeah, I'm having like a little bit of a midlife practice crisis is what I've been telling people. All right, Sarah, we're just going to take a quick break to let our listeners know who we are supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs makes the number one nursing bra that you will be able to get your hands on. That's right. All other nursing bras are number two. Yeah, they all kind of suck. And Shane, do you feel like a king for kind of introducing, you know, our family to Bravado Designs? You know, I've always wanted to be a part of the monarchy. And yes, I do. (laughs) 
<laughs> Shane picked up on a whim a bravado designs bra for me when I was nursing Lucy and you know in my first pregnancy in my first postpartum and it really did kind of change the course I stopped shopping around because I found what I loved and I kept wearing it even after I was done nursing just because it was so comfortable and now bravado designs has the new everyday collection which do not have clips and you do not need to have breasts that produce milk to wear them they are for anybody who would like to wear them they are so comfy and you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com but regardless of which website you go to use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20 percent off again that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20 but we are also supported by seedlip the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip Spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. And you know, as a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. But now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, so you've got Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with a splash of tonic. And listening to this podcast. <laughs> but you can also make more complex cocktails like Shane and I typically like to do, and you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. But now let's get back to our interview with Sarah. What are the main misconceptions that people think if they head into a chiropractic clinic or, or that would, I guess, prevent them from even walking in? I think a lot of people think that it's a little bit more aggressive than it really is. And I think a lot of people are nervous to get that adjustment, that cavitation and have that, you know, cracking sound happen. But there's so many different ways that we can actually manipulate a joint and adjust the, adjust the spine or adjust a joint in general. So there's that standard chiropractic manipulation where you might hear that pop or crack, that cavitation. There's also an instrument called an activator that you can use, which is a little impulse gun. So it's going to deliver a very quick, specific impulse right to the joint um, to help move the joint. It gives you that same neurophysiological response. Then there's just like standard mobilizations too. So you can mobilize the body so you can go through some gentle motions. You can do that with any joint in the body, which will still get you that same response. Oh, I had a patient yesterday. So she came in with right-sided knee pain and I didn't even touch her. Like we did an assessment, but she's not actually having knee pain. She's having dysfunction coming up higher from her pelvis and from her hips and her low back. So we didn't even adjust her. There was no adjusting that took place during that appointment. It was just rehabilitation and exercise. Oh, wow. Okay. So is it possible to come in in a lot of pain and leave with more pain? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's, it's relatively uncommon. However, I would say that it's more common to come in with pain and leave with probably about the same amount of pain than it is to leave in worse pain, but it is possible. And every so often it happens. So, you know, you kind of know you made it in practice when you're 
patient can't get off the table. That's, <laughs> that's the worst. So it happened to me for the first time. And my patient happened to be a medical doctor and he, he was great. Like his wife has been a patient of mine for a, a very long time. And he came in and it was his very first appointment. And he's like, Sarah, I can't get up. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay. So anyways, eventually we were able to get him off of the table, but it's probably the most terrifying thing when the patient just feels worse and they can't get up. Mike's it happened to Mike pretty early in practice too. And then one of our newest chiropractors, he, it happened to him. I think he ended up being with this patient for an hour trying to get her off of the table. And he called me as soon as he got in the car and he said, have you ever had a patient not be able to get off the table? And I was like, oh yeah, that's like, that's your rite of passage. That's how it works. So it kind of happens to all of us, which is a very big learning curve. Now you kind of know what type of complaints you can put face down on a table right away and which ones you should probably move around first. So is that awkward when you're like ringing up the bill and they can barely move and you're like, you owe me this. And they're like, geez, like, is so that early in practice, we used to do that. Like we would be the ones to check out the patients. Now we have office staff, which makes it way better. It's like, okay, great to see you. We'll see you in two days. Um, Real amount. Yeah. Jen and Maria are going to take care of you on the way out. And then you run away. <laughs> Now, something else kind of awkward I wanted to talk to you about. We just had someone else who owned their business uh, from Mabel's Labels, Julie Cole. She's actually on this episode. I was asking her about firing someone. Like when you when you own a business, like what's the way to fire someone? So are we talking about firing an employee or a business contact yeah. or are we talking about firing a patient? Okay. Oh, I both. didn't even know oh, that yeah, was a yeah. thing. I want to start with firing a patient. That's cool. <laughs> the way that you want to explain it is not necessarily that you're firing a patient, but we call it discharging a patient. So sometimes you'll notice that, um, you know, maybe you just don't think that the patient is going to be the best fit for you. Maybe you think that the patient has made you feel uncomfortable in some way. There's a lot of different reasons that you might want to discharge a patient. Um, so there is an appropriate kind of way to do that. You have to follow some legalities and make sure that you're at least referring this patient to another provider to make sure that they're still getting quality care, but there is the option to discharge fire in quotations, a patient, if you don't believe that you're going to be a good fit for them moving forward. When it comes to firing a employee, we've only fired one employee throughout our entire practice career. And it was probably the best decision that we ever made in business. It, I was noticing that, you know, her and I just didn't really jive well. She, her work ethic wasn't really what we wanted and she was good at her job, but there was just a lot of other things that weren't great about it. So in the end, we probably should have fired her about a year sooner than we did. However, when we did fire it, it was so bad that I called our attorney and I said, I don't care how much this is going to cost, but I need to figure out how to get her out of my office by the end of the day. And I need it to be legal. And he was like, okay. So, you know, he spent the day doing that. And then she finished her day and we sat her down and we had a, you know, a witness, our receptionist at the time. And we just said, you know, this isn't working out and this was your last day and here's your termination agreement and, you know, good luck with life. And it was the best decision we ever could have made. My mental health 
skyrocketed after that. Like I felt so much better. I wasn't as stressed. I was getting constant tension headaches. And I just, I just didn't know why I felt like that. Mm -hmm. And then we got rid of her and we fired her and it was the best decision ever. Was she cool or was it like just what you expected, which would be a bit of a nightmare? I think that she was kind of like, I knew this was coming. Okay. Okay. You know, so I don't think it was a huge shock to her. Mm -hmm. She was actually going to be leaving in the next few months anyways, because she was finishing up her education. So she had been a massage therapist and she was going back to school to be a nurse. So she was finishing up her education. And I think that, you know, it was going to happen anyways. And I think she was kind of getting to the point where like, "Mm, this is like, not, I don't think they're enjoying me being here anymore. So, you know, it was, it was stressful, but it was definitely a good decision. And since then we've had a wonderful team. We've been really, really happy with the people that work for us. We always tell everybody that you don't work for us, you work with us. And I will always respect you. There will always be respect in this office. As long as you are doing your job, you work hard and you get people better. You know, those are our only real goals. And then when it comes to like business colleagues, so we have an awesome accountant, awesome attorney, awesome payroll company, all of these people, but we actually today just fired um, our financial advisor. We just decided that it wasn't a very good fit. And we've kind of been thinking that for the last year or so. And I, I can't even explain how anxious I felt earlier today, just because I wanted to kind of get this all off of my chest. And I wanted to have a conversation with him. And it was, it was kind of weighing on me a lot. And I didn't want it to continue to get dragged out. And he had emailed me and said, you know, if we can't connect this week, you know, let's connect next week. And I said, I don't, I don't want to wait until next week. I would like this to be done. I want to have this conversation. And then once he realized what the urgency of what I wanted to do was, he made it so that there was a phone call at four o'clock today. We had a conversation, Mike and I discussed our grievances and like what we didn't appreciate and what we thought was inappropriate with some things that have happened over the last few days. And then we kind of just got to the point where we said, you know, it's okay if this isn't the best fit, that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody's going to be a good fit for everybody else. And I'm just not sure that this, that this is the right relationship. Good for you. And Mm -hmm. the way I feel now is much, much better than I did at. (laughs) Well, yeah, it can be be so tough. It's probably tougher to fire someone than to be fired. But I mean, when you're paying someone and when you're getting paid, especially if you're an employee, you're probably like, okay, I'm slacking off. I'm not being the best employee. So it might not hurt as much. But if you're paying someone and then they say, I don't want your money anymore, go to somewhere else, like, what is that wording? Like, like you were saying there's a special procedure, but like, what do you say? You mean with patients? Yeah. That's now I'm curious about patients (laughs) way more. (laughs) You know, sometimes you get a patient who's just disrespectful, which is unfortunate. Sometimes you get a patient who doesn't necessarily listen to your advice, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of what you're saying as a doctor. So being able to get your point across in a polite manner is very important as a professional, but sometimes you have patients who always think you're wrong, always tell you that, well, my old chiropractor did it this way. And you just don't jive with everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, not every patient is going to like me and not every patient is going to be the best fit for the way that I practice. I think when discharging a patient is very important is when there's, you know, a sexual harassment or a patient is 
pursuing the doctor of some sort. So whether it's a patient who's asking out a provider or a provider who might feel uncomfortable the way that a patient is speaking to them or things like that, that's when, you know, discharging a patient is going to be absolutely necessary, but it goes the same thing. It's, you know, having that conversation and it, I don't think it necessarily has to be the doctor that's been treating the patient that has to have that conversation, but it could be the owner of the business who ends up sending that correspondence and just says, you know, we're going to, we're going to discharge this patient. We're going to send you to this office instead, you know, we're going to make sure you still get the best care. So it's kind of, we haven't had to discharge anybody. So I've been very happy about (laughs) that. That makes me feel happy because I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's awkward. You know, I'm sure that that's a very awkward position to be in as the owner of a business as the provider Mm -hmm. as the providing doctor. And then as the patient as well. Oh my God. Yeah. Now on to physically taxing, how physically taxing is the job for you? Mm. Like after a week or you're like, Oh, I need a chiropractor now. (laughs) Kind of actually (laughs) today I went to acupuncture and my acupuncture said, you know, how are you feeling? I said, well, I, you know, I bent over all week. So my low back's a little sore. Um, what I've noticed, and I think a lot of chiropractors notice is the more active they are with exercise and continuing to do like their own rehab and paying attention to their own mechanics really helps with our pain in general. I would say that I probably get adjusted maybe every 10 to 14 days just oh, wow. because it's easy. And I have a history of having a lot of neck pain and a lot of headaches. So just getting adjusted regularly helps to keep those at bay, which is wonderful, but it is a taxing job. You're on your feet all day. You're moving around depending on, you know, the size of your patient, the size of the doctor, your heart rate's getting up there. So there's, it's a very physically taxing job. And actually it's very interesting because we're part of a Facebook group that has some chiropractors from all around the world in it. And a lot of these chiropractors have actually had COVID early on in the pandemic And they're noticing that they still can't see a full day's worth of patients because of post-COVID symptoms. They're still having a lot of exhaustion. They're having a lot of decreased lung capacity. So being able to be on their feet and see, you know, 30 patients in a day, let's say, is a really, really long taxing day on them, even still being almost a year later. Will you ever perform moves on Mike or is that like a no-no? Like, hey, we're not working on each other when we're home. (laughs) So we do. However, it's kind of known in the profession that it's really hard to adjust your spouse because you kind of just complain the whole time. (laughs) Like you're doing it wrong and that doesn't feel right. Do it this way. And it's kind of just a pain in the ass. So we tend to get other chiropractors in our office to adjust us. Actually, we had a colleague who used to say the same thing about his wife and she was a school counselor and she would complain and be like, you're not doing that right. You should do it this way instead. And he's like, you're not a chiropractor. (laughs) I'm telling you how to do these things, but it is common. Like I'll get him to adjust me if I need it or if I'm feeling pretty rough while I'm at home. But most of the time, I'll have somebody else at the office do it for me. See, Sarah, I like times like this because, like, just sitting here talking about yeah, pain and everything, I'm 
I, yeah. I'm realizing all the aches and pains I currently have right now. Like I just That's stretch all out I've been my thinking about. Like I'm like, oh, like right here is oh, killing I me. I never sit this much. Like yeah. we have stand up desks. So we have stand up counters in each of our treatment rooms. So we don't even sit at work to do patient notes. We're just standing the whole time. See, like I times like this, like when I am in so much pain, I'm like, damn, I wish like Sarah lived close as a chiropractor I can trust and I want to go to. And you, you've never adjusted me, obviously, because you live in a different country now, but you have adjusted Lucy. Yeah. Do you remember that? So yeah, that was a very long time ago. Yeah. So it was when Lucy was only a few months old and she was throwing up she had reflux she was throwing up a ton she was crying a ton and she had a lot of little baby pain i felt so bad for her and you adjusted her at victoria's house for me mm-hmm. and i remember that so so there's no like age minimum like you can just be adjusting nope. babies like that the youngest baby i've adjusted was i think three days old whoa Ooh. for so what? They were like brand what? new brand new little baby i actually don't treat kids anymore. Because I've decided that I wanted to focus on postpartum care, I said that I would not be treating children anymore, pretty much under the age of like 10. Mm-hmm. 10 so days or hired, uh, years? Pardon? 10 days or 10 years? Oh, 10 years. Yeah, yeah, I'm kidding. I just don't, I just <laughs> would rather treat moms instead. Mm-hmm. So we actually hired a chiropractor who does prenatal care. So pregnancy-based chiropractic care, as well as pediatric care so that she's taken over any of the pediatric cases in the office. But yeah, you can adjust babies as young as mom will, mom and dad or mom and spouse will allow you to. But a three-day-old, is it like, oh, my back? Like how, how, (laughs) how does, like, how do you know it needs adjustment? So the big thing that we actually see in our office is a lot of lactation or latching issues. So when a baby has a little bit of torticollis and their head is a little bit crooked, that's a really great patient case. So torticollis is crooked neck. Crooked head. Yep. Little crooked neck. So what happens is they have a little bit of joint restrictions and fixations and tightness in their neck, which makes it difficult to be able to latch while breastfeeding on one side versus the other. But babies that have torticollis tend to also have either a lip or a tongue tie. So that's very common too. So Dr. Caitlin, who is our in-house pediatric chiropractor, she focuses a lot on breastfeeding issues and lactation issues. She does a lot of assessment for um, tongue ties, lip ties, and she'll co-manage with physical therapists who are pediatric physical therapists or lactation consultants as well. Wow. That's amazing. See, all of this is so amazing. And I am so excited that you are starting your newsletter, Wellness Unbound, because Obviously, like I'm fascinated with the maternity postpartum world and Shane, too. I mean, we're hosting this podcast every week and that's this is all we talk about day in, day out, especially with the blog and everything. And it's just it's so exciting to have a friend who is a professional in this world and who knows the reasons why things happen instead of me, who just kind of knows things happen. And then I kind of go to you guys to find out why. But before we end, I guess my last question is... What are the main complaints that you get from women who are like postpartum women? And because I'm just thinking like of the listeners, whether they're pregnant, had their kid years ago and might be going through these things. What are the most common things that you can help treat? So as a postpartum chiropractor, there are obviously moms that are coming in with some type of low back pain, neck pain, those types of things that are related to, let's say, breastfeeding, kind of my baby is so beautiful syndrome where you're hunched forward (laughs) um, and everything you're doing is in front of you. So you're getting maybe some headaches, some upper back pain. 
But what I really like to focus on with my postpartum patients is that postpartum recovery. So being able to bring mom from birth through her fourth trimester and being able to slowly get her back into exercise and just help her replenish her body. Because after pregnancy and birth, your body is just very depleted from a lot of nutrients and a lot of things are still changing. Hormones are surging and breast milk is coming in and your musculoskeletal system is trying to come back to its you know, pre-pregnancy state. And there's just so much going on. So big things that I see and that I treat in my office would be diastasis. So abdominal separation. I do see a lot of moms that are still having pubic joint pain postpartum, but also some pelvic floor dysfunction. There's a lot of orthopedic exams that I can do as a chiropractor because I'm not an internal pelvic floor therapist. So I can't do an internal assessment but there's a lot of exterior or external orthopedic tests that I can do to get a better idea of what might be going on with mom's pelvic floor. And there's so many, you know, past medical history questions that you can ask to get a little bit more information about what's happening with the pelvic floor to determine if a referral to a pelvic floor physical therapist who will do that internal assessment is going to be beneficial. So I see a lot of that then a lot of return to exercise. So I have moms coming in who are saying, I might've started to exercise too early. I'm having urinary incontinence when I'm skipping, when I'm jumping rope. I have urinary incontinence when I'm running, when I'm squatting a heavy barbell, you know, all of these things, which is telling us that they might be pushing past their capacity because of X, Y, and Z, or they're having X, Y, and Z as a complaint. And we kind of need to get to the bottom of what's going on. Um, So those are kind of the big things that I see. Recently, I've started talking a lot more to my patients about their nutrition and what they're eating. I've been seeing so many moms with chronic fatigue postpartum. And when you ask them what they're eating, they might be eating 1200 to 1500 calories a day, which for a moderately active 30 some odd year old woman, you should be eating between like 18 and 2200 calories a day. Mm -hmm. And that's not even if you're breastfeeding, if you're breastfeeding, that's going to go up even more. Yeah. So what's happening is your body just doesn't have enough nutrients in order to do all of the physiological things that your body needs to do. So you can end up with thyroid dysfunction. You can end up with hormone, other hormone imbalances. You could end up not getting your period back after you're done, after you're done breastfeeding. There's so many things that can happen, but a lot of healthcare providers just chalk up a lot of these symptoms that moms are feeling postpartum to being postpartum, having a young baby, you know, you haven't been exercising, but a lot of it can just be because they're not eating enough. That's what, you know, my doctor mentioned that to me early on because I was saying that I felt like crap. And I also, whereas with Lucy, um, I just like, it was weird. Like I shed baby weight and like every, all that pregnancy stuff so fast. But with Betty, it was like just nothing. Like I just stayed the same pretty much after I gave birth. And I asked my doctor about that. I was like, is this like something to do with health? And she said, make sure you're eating enough. She said, you probably aren't eating enough in a day. And I I was surprised to hear that, but I think that was totally the case. Absolutely. So what I've started doing with patients is I've said, 
okay, for the next week, I want you to track your food. So you can use an app similar to my fitness pal. And I said, don't change anything. Just track in the app, what you're eating all day. And then next week, when you come in, we'll take a look at how many calories you've been eating and kind of what the breakdown of carbs, fats, and proteins that might be, you know, when, when you look at it, there's just not a lot of food there. And I actually see it even more with healthcare providers right now and teachers because you're in front of people all day and you can't take off your mask. Yeah. So mm. teachers aren't snacking in front of their kids anymore. And healthcare providers aren't snacking between patients because you can't take off your mask. So it's that much harder to get enough calories and enough nutrients into your body because you're wearing a mask all day. Same thing with hydration. You know, we should be drinking half our body weight in ounces in water every day, but I'm not doing that. And I find it close to impossible to do that because I'm seeing patients back to back and have mm -hmm. a mask on for six hours of the day. Yeah. My last question is, are there any cool cracks and pops that I can do at home to myself? Um, no, okay. I would suggest that all the cool cracks and pops be left to the chiropractors. The only reason I say that is because a lot of people, you've probably seen people who adjust like their own neck yeah. or sitting at the bar mm -hmm. or whatnot. Oh. Um, those types of movements actually create a lot of hypermobility in the body and the joints that are hypermobile can create just as much pain as the joints that aren't moving enough. So those types of people might end up with neck pain or headaches and they're like, yeah, but my neck cracks so easy, but it's because they actually are craving stability. They need some type of motor control or rehabilitation based exercise. That's actually going to help them stabilize their spine and stabilize their body, which is similar to pregnant and postpartum moms. You know, they're having a lot of low back and hip pain and all of these things, but it's because our bodies are just craving stability and craving that motor control. So being able to give them that through strength training is a wonderful way to just help decrease pain, even without having to do an adjustment. Anytime I see people doing that, I'm worried they're going to break their neck and die. Can that happen? I don't think so, okay. but it is scary because so when we're adjusting people, we're taught a very specific way to place the head and it's a very gentle adjustment. But when you see people doing it themselves, they're like fists yeah. in the chin and it's like, it's intense. So I wouldn't suggest anybody do that. And if you are doing that at home, maybe don't. Um, so and then see a chiropractor because they'll at least do it anatomically and physiologically appropriately. That makes sense to I, me. I only ever crack two fingers. I, don't, I can't even crack all my knuckles or anything, but I crack this finger and this, my pointer fingers just really easily. Should I stop that? No, there actually was a study that came out hmm. where there was a, I think he was a medical doctor. I can't remember what kind of prof professional he was, but what he did is he only cracked the the knuckles on one hand for like five years or 10 years or something. And then he would re X-ray them every so often. And there was no change. So when your parents told you that you would get yeah. arthritis from cracking your knuckles, they lied. Wow. Oh. Liars. <laughs> I know. Those That's a very cool thing to know though. I know. But so Sarah, thank you so much for all this. And where can people find you? Where can they get into Wellness Unbound, your new women's newsletter or check out Pinnacle Hill? Where can they find all that stuff online? So I'll give you our website for our office. So our website is pinnaclehillchiropractic.com. But on Instagram, we are pinnacle.hill.chiropractic. 
All of our providers have their own Instagram page. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about anything that we do, so whether it's women's health, nutrition, um, bodybuilding, powerlifting, kind of strength-based athletes, you can find us all by going to Pinnacle Hill Cairo, C-H-I-R-O dot Sarah is mine or dot Mike, dot Caitlin, whoever. Um, and then my Wellness Unbound newsletter, that Instagram is wellnessunbound.rock, R-O-C. And either from that Instagram in the link in the bio or my pinnaclehillcairo.sarah link in the bio, you can sign up for our newsletter. The way it'll work is every other Wednesday, I'll be sending out a newsletter and it will have one topic that we'll talk about. And then it'll have some recommendations for whatever that topic is. So this past Wednesday was our first one that went out and it was all about postpartum thyroiditis, which is inflammation of the thyroid gland postpartum. So we talk a little bit about what it is and what kind of lab tests can help you diagnose it. If maybe you're a healthcare provider or you're looking to ask some questions, some more specific questions to your healthcare provider, as well as some just very basic recommendations on, you know, vitamin D getting outside hydration exercise, continuing to take your prenatal vitamin, as well as some good foods that'll be beneficial for thyroid support. And then at the very bottom of every newsletter, my goal is to promote a, whether it's local or international women, like female entrepreneur that does some type of awesome work. So whether it's a nonprofit or whether they've put together a business and some of the proceeds are going to a really great cause. So this past Wednesday, what I did was I put Trunks Up Company in my newsletter. So the owner of Trunks Up Company is one of my patients and her and her husband have had a long struggle with infertility and 5% of all of their proceeds to Trunks Up Company will actually be donated to a local fertility clinic in Rochester to help fund another couple's kind of fertility journey. So they're lucky enough that they have one little boy who is two and she's actually pregnant with her second right now, which is awesome. So she's very excited to give back to the fertility community and hopefully help another family on their journey. Mm, That's amazing, Sarah. That's so awesome. And honestly, I am so happy to hear you kind of getting into this world, like with everything you got, because it is so fascinating for me. And I have no idea what thyroiditis is. So I need to make sure that I'm on this newsletter. I'll send you my newsletter. <laughs> yeah. But Sarah, thank you so much for sitting down with us. And it's it's been nice. Just talk to you. See your face. Talk to you a bit. Yeah. The audio quality ended up being very good. Yeah. Like oh, super bad. good. I tried to speak very loud. No, it was, yeah, you it did was a good excellent. job. You did a very good job. But Sarah, I know you had your beer earlier. We're, uh, we're doing yeah. ours now because our bedtime went long. But go cheers. <laughs> Cheers to everybody. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I had a blast. Not that I thought I wouldn't, obviously. (laughs) No, that's awesome, Sarah. But have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You guys too. All right. Bye-bye. There she was, the woman with the accent. The woman with the accent. And honestly, just... I love Sarah for how vivacious. Oh my God, why can't I say it? Vivacious. vivacious. I love Sarah for how vivacious she is and how, you know. She's very vivacious. <laughs> aside from being so bubbly and so vivacious, personable, yeah. she is just so knowledgeable. And for me, 
you know, even if it was what I did and something that I knew a lot about, I'd still sit there and be thinking about things and trying to get my facts straight. But she just kind of spews it all out like she's known it her entire life. And I felt uh, like someone was operating a computer in her brain, giving her all the answers. Well, she's she's always been like that. And that is one of the reasons that I not only just trust her as a friend, but would trust her as a provider. And that's why I let her adjust Lucy as a chiropractor when Lucy was like three months or three weeks, however the fuck old she was. Well, her back was killing her. <laughs> it was a tough uh, trip down the vagina chute, you know. <laughs> you and your funny terms. But now let's get to my favorite part. This is where Alex has, she's gone over a bunch of questions that you have submitted possibly if you're a listener right now. And she has gotten the answers for them. I'm going to sit back and listen. And if I have anything to add or if a question might be to me, I'll, I'll answer it too. I'll chip in. Thanks for the explanation, Shane. So first question, you can definitely get involved in this one. How did you come up with the girls' names? Shane, I'll let you take the reins on Lucy. My, I grew up watching a lot of I Love Lucy. I figured it would be a good tattoo to get I Love Lucy. <laughs> I Once I worked with an actress named Lucy Hale on a commercial. It was one of my first commercials. And I was like, oh, I like that name, Lucy Hale. Yeah, she was on a show called Pretty Little Liars. But that name always stuck with me for those reasons. Did you come up with that name? Like, Did you like that name or did an ex-girlfriend suggest that name to you being like oh when we have kids one day let's call her lucy i know why you're bringing this up why because recently we're on our tiktok brief one of the things was talk about something that you did with your ex first and that has subliminally gotten to your subconscious so you're like hmm i wonder if this name was that was not even it i've wondered this for a long time oh no for sure it was an original never talked about yeah me and my other girlfriends when we were planning our marriage and kids we came up with different names Mm -hmm. yeah same with me helga was a big one get out of here i don't know i'm trying to be funny it's not working uh and yeah the name betty we were in a pool in las vegas you had just won a uh i think a nude limbo contest (laughs) i wish no but we were in a pool that part's true so you came up with lucy I came up with Betty and I think it was just the Vegas vibes and there was probably honestly like just some, I don't know, woman in her mid 60s that was just looking like some old hot Vegas girl who looked like she'd be a Betty. And then I was like, I really love this name. I suggested it to you in the pool and you're like, yeah, I could do Betty. And after eight margaritas, I'll agree to any name. But, you know, that was it was so easy for us to come up with those two names. Like with Lucy, you just said, how about Lucy? I said, okay, great, done. There was no more discussion. And then same with Betty. Yeah, the only thing we struggled with Betty was her middle name. Mm -hmm. Because Betty Ray Cunningham, it seemed, I don't know, not not that anything's wrong with country music, but it seemed like we were forcing (laughs) a career down her throat. But regardless, we went with it. So she's Betty Ray Cunningham. And the way you got convinced. Betty Ray. Well, we no, it wasn't because of that. No, I'm just. It was because I was saying it was like ray of sunshine. Yeah. And you were like, oh, that's nice. And then you, you, it took on a new meaning. Yeah. But that's, that's it. So yeah, those were super, super easy names for us to, uh, to both kind of fall in love with. Okay. Next. This question's for both of you. What were the best and worst things about pregnancy? So I'll start the best thing, or I'll start with the worst. So the worst thing for me was, okay, it's a combination of two. I I can't tell which one I hated the most between the pelvic floor pain that I experienced with both pregnancies or the fear, like the fear of the unknown. And we had so many health scares with both babies that I was just 
kind of living in a world of like constant stress. I always felt overwhelmed. I always thought the worst was going to happen. And a few times we were told the worst was going to happen and it never did. And there were so many ups and downs that it was just a roller coaster that you couldn't get off. And it really, I don't know, I felt like I wasn't myself. I was just like so emotional and scared and like delicate. It was, it was, that was really hard for me. But the best thing about pregnancy for me was having my baby inside of me and like feeling her and knowing she was there and knowing she was safe and like that we were this sounds cheesy but knowing that we were like one Mm -hmm. and that still makes me emotional thinking about being one with my baby for nine months and just always having them there and always keeping them safe and like I loved that so much and Mm -hmm. uh I hated being pregnant but I'm gonna miss not being able to experience that again because that was really special Okay, so the worst part was, there's a couple worst parts. Okay, the terrifying part was when you called me the one day. And I I think this was, I wish you could have handled this better, but you just called (laughs) me and burst out into tears and told me that Lucy was had abnormalities. Mm -hmm. Because you got a test that there was a 1 in 30 chance that she would have an abnormality. But that part wasn't told to me. I just got the news like something is wrong with Mm -hmm. our child. She's probably going to have one of the, what's it called, tri- it tries me. Yeah, she was going to have a chromosomal abnormality. So I was worried. I, I, I was Googling. I was crying at my desk at work. I was oh, so scared. I remember that day. And then, uh, then we talked to the doctor and she was like, listen, there's like a 97% chance the child is going to be perfectly fine. We just have to tell you in this very scientific manner that mm-hmm. there's you know a 1 in 30 chance, which still it's... It's a high chance, but it's it's still 97% chance that everything will be fine. It's just higher than normal mm-hmm. because most people have a, you know, 0.2% chance something yeah. like that's going to happen. And another thing was the miscarriage that you had. Mm. That was a, so those that was bad when you're pregnant. That was I was out like I hadn't really gone out the entire pregnancy except for one night and the night I went out you you miscarried. Yeah. And so that was tough. Uh also dealing with you pregnant is not easy because oh, you don't you don't like being pregnant. You're not like one of those mm-hmm. like oh I love this. Best part was not drinking, having an excuse to do something <laughs> out of the ordinary, and I felt so much healthier and clear headed. And I don't know it, when the baby's born, I just like you showed me a picture the other day of Lucy being born, and on that pregnancy, I hadn't had one sip of alcohol. And I just look like so fresh. Like, you're like, Shane, look at this picture. You look like you're like 18. I'm like, whoa, I'm like glowing. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. All right, so our next question. What annoying kid toy do you fantasize about burning or destroying the most? Shane, do you have an answer? Or do you want me to say mine first? You say your first. I have two. First, okay, it's the Play-Doh cutters. So you know those things that come with Play-Doh where you buy them for your Play-Doh? Essentially, they're cookie cutters, but they're for Play-Doh. They're so freaking sharp, and Lucy leaves them around like this little heart-shaped thing. Stepping on it hurts more than anything else, and I, I hate them. And when I step on them, my foot hurts for like an hour. So it's between that and a Pomsy. What's you, a Pomsy? Okay, I was gonna. you're going to know what I'm talking about when I start describing it, but if you don't know what a Pomsy is, I, I honestly didn't even know what it was called. I had to go and look at the tag before we recorded tonight. But it's this little like fluff ball. So it's described as a pom-pom pet. So it's this like little fluff ball with a tail. And it's a noise-making interactive toy. Is that the toy. thing my mom got her? Yeah. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and okay. So like it's, you know, it plays games with your kid and stuff like with lights and 
I don't know, other stuff. But it's like if you pet its head wrong, its eyes go red and it like growls at you. And then one of the games is it farting, which I just generally don't like. Like I just don't like fart stuff. And it's you like you love f- fart stuff. Well, y- y- tasteful fart stuff. But this is <laughs> that made me sick, Alex. <laughs> no, but this is just like this little weird animal playing a farting game, and it's like just weird and kind of gross. I love that animal. <laughs> that's do? yeah if i was a kid that would be one of the toys i love i love like like when you were a kid think about your favorite toy no i know but as a parent it's different because i generally as a parent hate noise making toys right just because it's like they grate on you. silence <laughs> no See, i don't mind lucy can go like buck wild on that little magic einstein piano we have because at least the sounds are are nice to your ears they're pleasant to hear even if like she's playing you know a mishmash of just whatever but there's something about the toys i love you and all that crap and it goes that like, drives ah. me yeah. yeah that's what the palmsy does it makes weird noises fart noises and growls i don't know i love toys maybe that her tambourine just because oh i feel my God. i feel like it's sharp and i'm scared Freaking. she's gonna hurt herself plus she hits it with the um the spoons like a leg clacker she has another instrument it's like a leg clacker and she uses that to hit the tambourine so it's not even like she's playing the tambourine normally she's like slamming it with the leg clacker and then you have two horrific noises happening at once i for the tambourine is up there too that gives me a headache i'm pretty pro toy though so i hate that tambourine or i just wish she'd learn to play it properly anyhow (laughs) (laughs) next question what's something that you're looking forward to in the next day in the next week and in the next year is this from the friend song what is that how it goes if it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. I guess, yeah, it's not. Uh, anyhow. You, you can edit that out. <laughs> okay, so tomorrow I am looking forward to two things. Very excited. So first of all, one of my curtains are coming. I ordered two panels of curtain, but I couldn't order them at the same time. And for some reason, even though they're coming from the same freaking warehouse, they're coming a week apart. But first curtain coming tomorrow, and I'm very excited to see it in person. It's our porch curtain. I'm making the deck nice. And the second thing I'm excited for is we're having pork tenderloin for dinner. And it's going to be delicious. Do you remember last time we had it? It was fr- It's from that good place, Bofos. Oh, nice. It was that yeah. teriyaki pork tenderloin. It's amazing. And I'm so excited for that. And then next week, I'm excited for... I'm going to start planting something. So I'm going to plant some ivy. And I'm going to plant Rose of Sharon. And I'm really excited for those things because they're going to help transform the outside of our house because they're big. They're kind of statement making. So I'm very excited for that to happen. And then next year, I'm excited to ideally do some kind of vacation with the family. So nothing's nothing's in stone. Either do a vacation with the family or kick some ass in a tennis match with Shane. Okay, tomorrow I want to get the podcast out. That's my best part of my Sunday is getting the podcast Mm -hmm. kicked out the door and feeling like my week is complete and I've accomplished something. That's a great feeling, sense of accomplishment, getting the pot out the door. Uh, what is next week? Next week. Oh, our date night. I, I, mm-hmm. I always look forward to our date night. Having it on Wednesday is a stroke of pure genius. I'm so glad I thought of it. It's Like I wasn't sure if it was going to work. Oh, it was, it's one of your best ideas. So that I look forward to. And next year, definitely copying you on this tropical vacation. Heck yeah. It's going to feel so earned. I know, right? It's just, it's really going to feel like no other vacation ever, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's if we can do it, but I'm assuming we will be able to do it. Yeah, I'm thinking November 2021. 2022? 
Yeah, 2022 in November. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we could do a Christmas December. thing. Yeah, December probably. Uh, next question. Would you ever have Alex's parents on a date night podcast? So I think this person's probably asking us because we had my father on. We had my dad on a date night episode, which was a great episode. And uh, it was really sweet. Like Shane and I were up at the cottage and my dad came to help us out with the kids and he showed up on date night. Crash date night. We all had dinner together. We all sat there drinking wine together after. That was a late night. Like right after we recorded, he's like, all right, I'm going to let you enjoy your date night. Heidi ho. And he was going to like take off. And we're like, no, have a drink. Cut to like one in the morning. We're telling each other stories. We're all like crying and stuff. I was like, we woke up the next day. We're like, what happened? Like it was, that was an, a very interesting night. And I have never seen your dad stay up that late. I have never seen him stay up past like 11 unless we are all working on him. And it's like New Year's Eve. And even then it's- New Year's <laughs> Eve, you went to bed at 1030. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think if anything, on New Year's Eve, your dad prides himself on going to bed earlier. But that night was definitely a notable evening. But I like this idea. Get Lorna and John one week. We just give them the microphones. I tell them the template. John plays me. Lorna plays you. (laughs) And we just air the episode. I like, so what, just give them questions? Yeah, I'll give them questions. Talk. I'll edit the episode. Like, they'll probably record for 60 minutes. I'll edit it down to 30. I think this is great. I think it would be so fascinating. Yeah. I'd want to just, I wouldn't have to be the fly on the wall because it's a podcast. Everybody's the fly on the wall, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm down. I'm down. John Lorna, if you're listening, which I know you probably will at some point, this is going to happen. Yeah, this will be funny. Yeah, I like it a lot. <laughs> this is good. Uh, all right. So next question. Can you truly forgive if you can't forget? And what are some tips to forgive? Shane, do you think you can truly forgive if you can't forget? Yeah. Yes. I do it every day. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, I think so, too. And in fact, like, you know, true forgiveness. I mean, it's easy to forgive somebody if you forget about something. True forgiveness only comes when you can consider everything that's happened and the ways in which you were possibly hurt or betrayed or misunderstood or whatever and choose to move forward. So I found an interesting article from Healthline and they outline a few things. So they remind you that forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. It is not implying that the pain they caused was no big deal. So it's not minimizing your own feelings about something. And it is not automatically resuming your relationship as if nothing had happened because obviously things have changed and you may need to be going forward in a different way, but it doesn't mean that you don't want to go forward. So forgiveness means that you're ready to move on and leave the past or anything negative that had happened in that one regard behind you. And not being able to forgive is going to be most harmful on you as the person that was, what, wronged? Burned. Burned. Uh, But yeah, so it's interesting because forgiveness helps reduce stress, which makes so much sense. Like if you think of any time where you were so mad at somebody and you couldn't forgive them, you're lying awake at night, like you're thinking about it so much, you're overanalyzing situations. Like, you know, you know that feeling, Shane? Oh, yeah. So it reduces stress, which can lead to lower blood pressure, reduced anxiety, better sleep and obviously improved self-esteem, which I think is something that gets impacted, especially if you know, there's a betrayal or something in a relationship. But if you want to talk about how to forgive, because this person is also asking for tips. Mm -hmm. Shane, do you have any tips on how to forgive? Just forget, man. (laughs) No, uh, I honestly don't have any tips. I'm just a naturally forgiving person. 
And for that reason, selfishly, I'm trying to relieve myself of anxiety. And mm-hmm. I can't, like, anything could happen to me, and I will forgive the person or the thing. Yeah, so I found it's an interesting science, like, expert-developed program or method of forgiving people. It's called REACH, so R-E-A-C-H. Oh, that's how you spell it. <laughs> no, because every letter stands for something. So oh. the R... Uh, stands for recalling and visualizing the betrayal. So you have to really come face to face with what happened to you, how it made you feel. And if you're going to have a hard time talking about this with the person who hurt you or betrayed you, then write these things down. Write down how you felt so that nothing is left unsaid when you do have a conversation. The E stands for empathizing without minimizing. So try to figure out why they did the thing that they did to hurt you so badly without minimizing your own feelings or the damage, the toll that it took on you. Try to understand kind of where they were coming from. Why are you laughing at me? Do you think the person who asked this question is like, oh, geez, I just wanted a, uh, can you forgive, yes or no? Well, they asked for tips and now I'm giving them a science developed answer. I'm just giving what's, I'm telling you what's on my mind and why I'm laughing. Continue. A- stands for altruism. So looking at forgiveness as a gift that you give, just as it's one you'd want to receive yourself if you hurt somebody. I'm just going to get a drink real quick. You continue. The C stands for committing to forgiveness by writing about your decision or telling somebody else about it. And the H is holding on to your choice to forgive. So it can be really hard to actually let something go, but it has to be something that you truly want to do. You truly want to kind of release yourself from the pain from the stress of, you know, being upset by something and you truly want to move forward. So if you can hold on to your choice to forgive, then in those moments where you feel, you know, a little resentment or bitterness creeping up, then if you can take a moment to take breaths, meditate, do whatever you can to kind of remind yourself why you made the choice to forgive, that can be helpful. But yeah, every person you meet teaches you something and to forget what they did would be also forgetting a lesson that you've kind of received through that interaction. Wow. Now, um, <laughs> good, good research, Alex. Thank you. Some might argue too much research. No, but I, I think it was good because I learned a lot there too. Is it true women need more sleep? So last week on the podcast, we actually talked about it was somebody's question, uh, are dads more fun? And then that brought us into a conversation about women having less high quality leisure time and less relaxation time than men. Yeah. Shane, do you think women need more sleep than men, scientifically? Most sleep? I, I would say if they do, I'm going to say it's so negligible that it's probably irrelevant. And why would you say that they do? Because they because they are meant to carry humans, so an extra human. So that person would need more recuperative abilities. Yeah, but like women without children even. Well, still women without children are still designed to carry children. So that's why they would okay. So yeah, so you are right. So <laughs> and, I and love no, how you tried to of, lead me off that. And no, I could tell by your eyes I was right. No, no, because the second part, no. But the first part, you are right. So there was a study conducted by the Sleep Research Center at England's Loughborough University. And they found that women's brains do need more time to recover from their daily routine than men. Mm -hmm. So sleep deprived females are also more, as Shane would know, more susceptible to distress and anger and mood swings and things like that. And that is why now you take the girls downstairs in the morning and I get another 
little bit of sleep. You never took the girls downstairs in the morning. I, I just to. gave you. Well, we used to. I just wake offered up you. A, no, we didn't. We uh, no. I'd always come down with them, but instead of giving you a half hour extra, now you get mm, yeah, yeah. close to two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but women's brains do need more time to recover because they use their brains more than men, and I love that fact. It's so funny to me, and they use their brains so much more so. That, yeah, they do require more sleep. And in an interview with the New York Post, the director of this sleep research center in the UK, his name is Jim Horn. He said, women's brains are wired differently, so their sleep needs will be slightly greater. Women tend to multitask and they do lots at once and are flexible. And so they use more of their actual brain than men do. They use more of their brain than men do. And that is so interesting to me. And I wonder if it's because of just the multitasking and just more wires crossing. You think you're using more of your brain than me? No, I think in our case, it's pr- especially because we're both at home and both doing childcare, it's very it's very similar. I, I think in our case, I need more sleep only because I'm up in the night with the kids. Alex, do you have your bank card? Alex, do you have your keys? <laughs> uh, anytime Alex leaves the house, I'm at the drive-thru and I forgot my bank card. I'm in the car and I don't have my car keys. I've locked myself out of the house. Like I'm not saying like you're way smarter than me. I'm just saying your brain doesn't feel like it's multitasking at all well, times. Well, it's multitasking too much, Shane, and I wasn't getting enough sleep. So it couldn't make those connections. And maybe if I was getting more sleep at the time when I was locking myself out of the car or whatever, then I wouldn't leave the house without all my stuff. Mm. Our final question for the night. In Canada, if you break any lockdown rules, are there consequences? Not so, really. Well, there are right now in Ontario. Yeah, but they flip-flop. Now they're like, oh, we're, the police are really taking a stand and they're not going to actually be issuing tickets or checking yeah. on people. So if you do not live in Canada, uh, specifically in Ontario, so I know we have a lot of listeners from Australia, from the U.S., from Qatar. We are the number one parenting co- podcast in Qatar and Turks and Caicos. Uh, so here's to you guys. But if you are not from here, so our province, which is like a state in Canada, Ontario, we are in a really strict lockdown right now because the COVID cases are surging. There's all these variants that are really doing damage to younger people like our age. And it's just, it's kind of getting out of control. So yeah, we're in, we're in this wild situation. And if you fail to comply to restrictions, so like Shane said, uh, our premier made an announcement yesterday saying that cops were going to start enforcing and they had the right to ask you where you were going and to find out if you were disobeying the guidelines, you know, the lockdown guidelines. But all the cops are now putting out statements saying that they're not going to do that because they don't want to infringe on people's rights. Whether they do or not, if you are not complying with the restrictions, you do run the risk of getting a minimum fine of $750. So that's like being at where you shouldn't do it, like being in a place where you shouldn't be. If you're hosting a party or a gathering that's in violation of regulations, and this is the same rule we had at Christmas time, you can face a maximum fine of $10,000. $10,000 for hosting something. And then even at Christmas, I think it was like $800 per person on top of that it was like a crazy thing yeah but if you shoplift or something there's always like you could be fined up to like no here's a better example (laughs) if you pirated a film like at the Mm -hmm. beginning of a film it says warning duplication of this will result in a ten thousand dollar fine in five years in jail people just make copies like Nabster. you could have gone to prison for the rest of your life for downloading you know red hot chili pepper song so 
that's just like in its strictest terms that's what's being released but it's not actually being enforced if it is please tell us like if you've gotten a seven thousand dollar fine please let us know but i do not foresee that happening yeah anyway they they threaten actual consequences so does the every time i put it on a movie i know i know it's a good point so yeah we don't we don't know really real life because again she and i uh have been living quite sheltered so we don't really think yeah, about and that I, and but. i'm not like you know defending anyone or not mm. defending anyone i'm just saying it's like there have been outrageous potential fines hanging over our heads for things that we never even think of because we know no one's ever been yeah. implicated on these things yeah anyhow thank you so much for listening to this, this family, family tree, tree podcast. podcast episode 82 rate us and give us five stars on itunes